Fuck the music. Let's just just turn the show on. We're talking. We we we're t- this is too free form to have a, a an actual opening. I think I'm gonna kill the opening. I think I'm gonna add it in post because the opening like if it, it fucking weirds everything out. It's like all of a sudden music plays and you have to start from scratch. It's like you kill the momentum. So how are you gonna do it? Just like this. No, but I mean, in, uh, how did you used to do it? Like you, we used to like stop, cue the music, and then Joe Rogan. Right, right, break. right. But like. Why we di- why are we doing that? Because it kind of feels like a start. I think I like, know it like, does. Bam, but start. You know what it also does though? It kills the momentum of the conversation. That's why yeah. I don't do it sometimes because I feel like we get this groove going. All right. Oh, I like, know why. Why? Because in the future you might not like Ting. You may be like fuck Ting in the ass, no, and then never. and then you want to just be able to cut like cut it off. Dude, don't even say that. <laughs> it's great for business. You're rude. No, 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 no. But someone asked me if I wanted to put together a best of the Fleshlight commercials. I'm like, that seems like. That would be kind of advertising, <laughs> you know. Like that doesn't seem like a smart move because we don't use them anymore, right. and the promo code probably doesn't work anymore. But it would be funny as fuck. Maybe some of them were some hilarious. Yeah, some of them were hilarious. Maybe if uh, Flashlight wants to get involved, yeah. we want a piece of the action. We'll bring hours. it back just for uh, <laughs> just for some videos. Um, but uh, so these doctors didn't know about each other when you had three different prescriptions. Obviously. No, that's what's crazy. Different states or that's same state? You know, no, all in the same state. One was my general practitioner. One was the guy who was um, who, who had done the operation, and then the other one was the uh, PT guy. <sighs> and so, and then, and then you know, you start, you start looking for pills elsewhere. God damn, dude. Yeah, I knew a guy who uh, did that with oxy's. He had a back surgery. Well, yeah, that's that's hardcore. And oxy's. he just he had uh, one in Texas. He had one down here. And different doctors feeding him pills, and he still couldn't couldn't keep him in the system. Well, I mean, just it's, shoving him in. It's it's heroin, oxy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the same exact mm-hmm. chemical makeup. Yeah, and just like you were saying, he went dark. You know, it was dark time. It's like there's a cloud walking over him when you'd see him. Yeah. Like uh, those Snoopy cartoons. Right. The one dude was a cloud. <laughs> right, right. It was literally like that. Yeah. Poor guy. Yeah, it's um, it's tough because you feel great. I'm not going to lie to you. When you are on those pills, you can talk to, like it's some asshole you run into a comedy club that you would normally avoid. I can engage. I can have a long conversation. Wow. I was doing hour and 40 minute sets where I was just free forming. I could sit and write scripts. I mean, it was just for whatever my chemical makeup is that's fucked up, it righted it. Get back on the heroin. Right. Just do it. Get back on them. Right. All the great Vicodins writers. isn't heroin though, right? Vicodins is uh, something I don't know. Else. I, think I think it's, it's a lighter different. version of it. Heroin's not that bad. If you just don't take a bath, you're fine. If you don't take a bath? <laughs> yeah, when you're on heroin, because everyone what? dies in oh, the bath, right. right? Well, the problem <laughs> with it is that, puke, that your, your um, uh, receptors, your, what's the happiness uh, chemical in you? Uh, dopamine? Serotonin? Yeah, your serotonin receptors uh, get clogged up by the chemicals in barbiturates. So you no longer are able to receive... Um, serotonin, because those, that the only thing that is that is uh, making you feel good is the drug, and then you have to when you go off it, it takes a while for those receptors to clean out and be able to accept serotonin again. And that's Here, where you get really dark. That's yeah. That's I, I, a friend that had the same issue uh, coming off coke. 
it was that same thing, just depleted receptors. Mm. It's just, it uh, just hypertaxes your system. That's the big deal with coming off ecstasy, right? That's where people started getting into 5-HTP. They started getting into 5-HTP because people were coming off of ecstasy and their serotonin would be depleted. Right. And then they realized if you take 5-HTP while you're tripping, before you're tripping, like while you're tripping, after you're tripping, it gives your brain the building blocks to rebuild serotonin quicker. Right. Yeah, everything you are as a human being, this is the weir- This is the thing that people have a hard time wrapping their heads around when it comes to like their diet or when it comes to their, uh, you know, like how how much nutrients they take in your body. Your body's literally built on food. It's built on food. That's the only way it gets built. You have to give it fuel. The fuel that you give it depend. It, it depends entirely on the nutritional properties of that fuel to give your body enough to build, rebuild itself. And in certain circumstances, what you're doing to your body just depletes its reserves of anything, like whether right. it's serotonin, whether it's dopamine. When, you know, that's the uh, thing that happens to guys when they're on steroids. They get off steroids, their testicles don't work anymore. It's, you, you get testicular atrophy. Same thing. It's you just deplete your body's ability to do something. Right. Just wreck the whole thing. Even if you're just down, you see some people at the fucking Starbucks and they got the sugar and they just turn oh. it upside down. <laughs> yeah. And you literally, you think... Okay, that's crazy amount. And then they keep going. And, and you realize, yeah. like, I, I did a cleanse a couple times because basically your system needs once in a while to not have to deal with all this shit and mm-hmm. just drain it all out so that it can relax. You know, it's like turning off your computer so your hard drive can go to sleep for a little while. And if you don't do that, you're just, you're fighting all the time. Yeah, when you introduce something to it, like Vicodin or heroin, you you're upsetting your system in such a crazy way too. Your your system doesn't know what the fuck's going on. Right. It's so like every now and then this guy takes this stuff in, and we're on this wild ride, and then our de- reserves are depleted. And we have to scramble to get that wild ride again. Otherwise, right. we're not going to be even. Right. Like that's one of the saddest things ever. When you see those pill guys that they only take the pills to get even. Yeah. When when they're not on the pills, they're sick. They right. get that sickness that they just can't deal with, and they take the pills to just relax a little. Yeah. I know. Well, what what you're feeling on like raw food? That seems to be what people do now. Some raw food is really good for you. Some yeah. foods are better when they're cooked. Yeah. Um. There's there's we had Steve Maxwell, this uh, famous strength and conditioning and nutrition health guy, who uh, has worked with a lot of MMA fighters, and he's uh, just a really knowledgeable guy, always on top of like health and wellness type stuff. And he was talking about the cellulose in like broccoli and certain vegetables. Like your body doesn't even process it correctly unless it's Because the cell walls are too thick. You have to cook it in order to get the most out of it, to to make it the most nutritious, which I thought was really interesting because a lot of people think that most vegetables, like eating most vegetables raw, like raw vegetables is like the way to go, which I think it is. You know what I think? I think there's no correct answer. There's like some things are better raw, some things are better cooked, some you probably should have both. You probably should have animal protein as well as vegetable protein. Like I always make fun of vegans, but if you saw what I eat on the most part, I eat a shit ton of vegetables. Yeah. And I've, I eat vegetables all day long. I think it's the most important thing other than like a good quality source of protein that you take in your body. I feel different when I eat a lot of like green leafy vegetables. Oh, hell yeah. I feel different. I feel right. better. Right. And I also um I I fart a lot. <laughs> if I eat vegetables a lot and fruit a lot, oh, I yeah. fart I fart to the point where I got a hemorrhoid. <laughs> and I got this hemorrhoid and I can't get rid of it and and I noticed that like I fart probably, you know, when I'm really going, I probably fart 20 times a day and they're long farts. 
<laughs> and it's hard if I'm traveling. I get off the plane. I'm cramped up because I won't fart in a plane. Oh, you're a sweetie. Cross country. So I go to the urinal, and I, I was with my son one time. We were coming back from a trip from Florida, and we went into the men's room, and we are both at the urinal. And that's where I let it rip. And, I mean, it, it's like a crazy comedy fart. <laughs> and he started laughing so hard. His face turned red, and he laughed. He's like, Dad, I can't believe you did that. I go, that's what a gentleman does. That meant I didn't do that on the plane. Dude, good for you, man. Right. Do you take guy. um do you take enzymes? I just got some uh probiotics in the mail very that different. I'm gonna start taking. That's different. I mean oh, that, is? that is yeah, I mean probiotics are very good. It's very good for intestinal health and you know right. st- the uh digestive health. But uh en- enzymes are really important as well. Really? You, yeah, you can buy enzymes. Like it's a What's lot of What's a good one? I'll get you some. I'll get you some on it ones. The um, there's there's a ton of good ones that are on the market. There's uh, there's certain enzymes that are in certain vegetables and, and certain fruits, especially like papaya. Papaya is a big one for digestion. Yeah. That's why you ever eat at one of those Brazilian places, those Fogo de yeah. Chao places. Yeah, Fuck they're awesome. Yeah. But one of the best desserts they have is this papaya smoothie. Right. Right. And one of the cool things about it is the papaya actually has, I think it's pectin or one, it's one of those some enzyme that uh, helps you digest all the meat. So it's like a good post-meal thing. It's beautiful, and it tastes so fucking good. But that's where the farting comes from, they say, is because the fruit and the meat together break down at different times. So the fruit digests immediately, so it forms a bubble behind the big red meat. And then as you as you digest the red meat, it releases the papaya fart. (laughs) Yeah, it's intense. Well, they say that if you're gonna eat like one of the best way they I don't know who they are, but people who I've talked to that are health and nutrition Democrats say that you should have um, like your vegetables should be like one of the first things you eat, like eating a a vegetable smoothie. In, or eating a fruit smoothie, something right. fruit or vegetable based, is like one of the most important things early because it kind of like opens the pipes up and lubes them down. Yeah. And that way, when you're eating something else, if you eat something that's a meat based meal later, like it's attacking, you're already open. Right. You, you know, you're already sent in the troops to clear out the fucking forest. Right, and right. then your shit comes flying out of you. So there's a logic to like the Italian six course meal. First is the antipasta, which is some raw vegetables. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then that loosens it up, and then you get the heavy carb pasta as your second meal, because then then you uh, I, I never follow because I'm so fucking stuffed. I'm Irish, so the first the first you know wave comes, and we just attack it like there's never <laughs> going to be food again. And then they keep bringing like I my friend Frank Moretti's Italian. We used to we I used to have dinner at his house, and they had fucking antipasta, then pasta, then they'd have shrimp, then they'd have like. Uh, uh, another pasta, then a meat, and I was just, I felt embarrassed that I couldn't keep eating because I'd eaten too much. Well, you know what? That's an important point when it comes to eating, that it's not just about health. Like, I think you should eat for health's sake most of the time because I think your body will work better and you'll feel better. But that said, you should also enjoy food, right. like, as a delicious art form. Yeah. You know, and, like, if you go to a really jamming Italian restaurant and they bring out a five-course meal and it's got antipasta and delicious lasagna and then there's a meat course, and you're like, oh, my God. Like, you're awash in, like, a, an, an orgy of sensations. Right, right. And you should appreciate that for what it is. Like, yeah, you're going to be sleepy afterwards. Yeah, it's not the best thing for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But every now and again, it's a great thing to do. Dude, let's do it. Me, you, and Callan and our wives. Let's go to a good fucking restaurant. Okay, let's do it. Go Come to- on. What, did yeah. I get too excited? No, 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 no. I'm ready. <laughs> you got me excited. <laughs> no, seriously. I was thinking about that the other day. We're due. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. I'm down. 
hundred percent. Let's do it. Callan's going to be here right after you, so we'll we'll work it out. Right. Um, here's the answer when you were asking earlier the difference between heroin and Vicodin. Um, so heroin, it's uh, according to this uh, post online, has uh, a greater euphoric and analgesic property than Vicodin. It's uh, less potent in an oral to uh, milligram basis. So heroin is indistinguishable from morphine if administered any way other than IV. And heroin is more sedating than hydrocodone by a very notable degree. So it seems that heroin slows you down more. It's more of a sedative. You're not out. That's probably like when you're taking Vicodin, you felt like really creative and you got a lot done. I think that the Vicodin, uh, it quells your fears and your anxieties. Mm. It seems to be an extreme anti-anxiety pill. No shit. Because creativity, once you feel anxious, it tightens up. Mm-hmm. You lose it. Sometimes it enhances it with me, though. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, like, when I, uh, especially pot, like eating pot, for me, there's uh, there's oftentimes a period of anxiety right. or a feeling of vulnerability. Just a real, just a reality of being a person, being a, a finite life form. Existing. Get existential. You get weird, man. You just you weird out. You yeah. know, you think but then afterwards I have I sort of relax from that and then I have this wave of ideas that comes. Yeah. It's just like a gift for tolerating all the freak out. Right. It's like the universe okay, you got through that, good. Here's some ideas. You're right. Like, oh, these are they're like gifts, like yeah. gifts from the gods, you know? Right. But I don't get that from Vicodin. I only took Vicodin once and it didn't work with me. With, yeah. my, with my system, it just made me a moron. Yeah. I was just sitting. Maybe I was too much. Maybe I, I overdosed or I something. I right here if you guys want to take some and try it out. You have Vicodins on you? Yeah. Why do you have Vicodins it's on you? It's actually been in this box for like the last year when I had my uh, operation my teeth. And yeah? I, I don't like Vicodin, so I just kept it here. Don't keep Vicodin. I was going to say, it's, it's good to keep. <laughs> uh, how am I going to explain it to cops? No, I'm like, true. I don't know where the Vicodin came from. I don't even have Vicodin. That's not, did you plant Vicodin? And then I accused the cop of planting Vicodin. Wait, so cop you... shoots my dog. <laughs> just, shit, yeah, for no reason. That's, that's Where's your do. dog? That's what they do. They shoot dogs. <laughs> You ever seen the fucking videos of cops shooting dogs? Uh, There's so many cops that actually enjoy shooting dogs. These, like, collies bark when they come to arrest someone for something, and they just unload on the dog. Yeah. It's a a fear tactic. And it's also to let them know that, you know, I'm completely in control here. I just shot your dog. You're in shock now. Right. And it's it's a tactic of control. Damn. Of manipulation and control. It happens all the time. Cop allegedly fought back a smile after fatally shooting friendly dog. Damn. They do it all the time. Yeah. Ah. They do it all the time. Yeah, there was, there was uh, I mean, there's a ton of videos. I, I hate even talking about it because it makes me sick. But there's right. a ton of videos online right. of cops that are just fucking shooting dogs. Huh. You know, I get it. If you were going over a bad guy's house and that bad guy has some dogs and those dogs would sick you, I get it. But there's a lot of times where they're doing it where that's not the case at all. There was a guy who was a fucking mayor and um, they uh, they shot his dog and they shot um, another dog, ran away and hid. And they f- chased after the dog. And while I was hiding, they shot that. No they were shit. Labs. Chocolate labs. And then I think they're chocolate. Maybe golden labs. But I remember them being like really like dogs you never have to worry about. And then um, they uh, arrest the family because someone had delivered some marijuana to the wrong address. Hmm. So what it was probably was that this guy was a postman, and the postman was working some sort of a drug deal. And what he would do is he would he would be delivering to a certain address. So instead of 
him actually delivering the package. The package was going to that address. He handles all the packages that go to that address. Instead of that, he picked up the package himself, and it was pot. Mm. So the the people that were uh, in the house were it turned out to actually be a mayor. So they this guy was fucking having pot delivered to this mayor's house. So this guy, uh, you know, the mayor had nothing to do with it. Yeah. So they break down his house. They break down his door, shoot his dog, chase his other dog in hiding, shoot it, fucking zip tie everybody, treat him like they're drug dealers. And then it turns this guy out- guy black? I, be- I don't remember. Okay, let's find out. Because this sounds familiar. Yes. I think he was. Mayor, uh, I want to I don't want to fucking, I want to say of D.C. Now, I remember it was around D.C. It might have been a little bit south- yeah, if the dog owner's black, it's way more scary than if a white dog owner. Right, no, and then the um, it got big. I think Obama right. commented on it. What do you mean? Right, like if, if, if it's probably, like if you go to somebody's house and a bunch of dogs are like at the door, you're probably more scared at a black guy's house than a white guy's house. Why? Because white guys have like shitty, like bitch dogs usually. I what think the, that's a fair. I think that's a fair stereotype. I mean, it, there White is. Guys bitch if you're in, if you're in, you know, the hood, there is right. a fair. There's a fair chance that those dogs have been bred to fight or at least be very aggressive. Yeah. Okay, it's, it is. It's Maryland, and here's right. the. Um, it's Berwyn Heights, and here's the actual story from Wikipedia. The Berwyn Heights mayor's residence drug raid was a controversial, controversial action taken by the Prince George County, Maryland Sheriff's Office and Police Department at the home of Berwyn Heights Mayor uh, C-H-E-Y-E Calvo. I don't know how to say that. In 2008, the raid was a culmination of an investigation that began in Arizona where a package containing 32 pounds of marijuana was intercepted at a warehouse addressed to the mayor's residence. In spite of intercepting the package in transit, the police allowed the package to be delivered. And once the package arrived at the house, a SWAT team raided and held the mayor and his mother-in-law at gunpoint, shot and killed his two dogs, one while it attempted to run away. The event gained national and international media attention while Calvos... While the Calvoses, I guess, were cleared of wrongdoing, the police were accused by the Calvos and civil rights groups of lacking a proper search warrant, excessive force, and failure to conduct a proper background investigation of the home being raided. Yeah, I think, I think Obama uh, made a statement about it, as a matter of fact. In 2010, in August, the sheriff say, stated, we'd do it again tonight. What? <laughs> Wow. I love cops in certain states. <laughs> we do it again just, tonight, he said. You know, oh sheriffs. My, oh, my God. It's like that Sheriff Joe in, in uh, Phoenix. These sheriffs, it's like, I don't know what the checks and balances is on sheriffs, but they seem to be able to say whatever the fuck they want. There's some douchebags out there that are sheriffs, that's for sure. I mean, like everything, there's there's cops that are great, and then there's cops that are that suck at it. Right. And it's a fucking really hard job. That's part of the problem. They don't get enough respect. It's a really hard job. It's a super dangerous job. It develops, it's not well paid. It's not well paid, and they develop this us versus them mentality, right. which is super dangerous because they are us. You right. know, this idea that you're not us, that you can go over a guy's house and shoot his fucking Labrador. Yeah. That's crazy, man. Right. I mean, it should be crazy. But you get so used to the stress of combat. On a daily basis. Yeah. Imagine being a fucking cop. Everybody you deal with all day is lying to you. Yeah, my buddy's a cop in the South Bronx, and he works the the graveyard shift. And he said that they show up, they'll show up to help somebody, and people on rooftops in the tenements will start throwing fucking paint cans down on the street, 
And just anytime they see a uniform, there it's like if we come into a place, we need to make the arrest and get out of there in less than five minutes. Otherwise, a crowd gathers and it's like a near riot situation. Oh my God. If you go into certain tenements. Imagine living like that. You know you got to go in, and you're going in there because you know you're assisting the fire department because somebody had a heart attack, or or you're going in because there was reported domestic violence. You're trying to help the community, and you are under attack. It's like fucking Iraq. Well, do you remember what happened during the L.A. riots um, after the O.J. Simpson trial, where they were shooting firefighters? They were shooting oh, no firefighters. Shit. Wow. Yeah, they were shooting at people. They were shooting at anybody with a uniform. Anybody with a uniform. And just white people in general. I mean, right. that whole Reginald Denny thing where they pulled him out of his truck and bashed a, a fucking brick off of his head on national right. television. Do you yeah. remember that scene? Yeah, yeah. Unbelievably scary. All right. When you watch the fact that this guy, for no reason other than the fact that the guy was white, pulls him out of a truck and then takes a brick and hurls it at his head, full yeah. clip, caving his face in. All right. I mean, that, that happened just because the guy was white. Right. And the same thing with lynchings of black and, people in the South. But what's really fucked, yeah, but for sure, but that was a different time. You know, it's really fucked that, like, that kind of racism, like the black against white racism, white people go, well, yeah, but we kind of have a comment a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It wasn't it me, so he took one for the team. All this fucking, this, think about this owner of this basketball team, this Donald Sterling. Oh, All he said was... Keep, keep away from black people. Don't take pictures of black people. Right. And everybody wants his head. It's, it's over. He said a couple. I mean, look, I'm not going to. Obviously, do I even need to say we're not condoning it? Of course. We're not. Of course. But this dude has a billion dollar team. He has to fucking sell mm-hmm. because he made some stupid statements. He didn't prohibit a black person from coming on the team. He didn't uh, mistreat a black person even. He just made statements. Yeah, he apparently had a reputation for a long time of being racist. And he was the guy that Ron Artest, didn't he? Was it Ron Artest yeah. that sued him in 2009? Yeah. Sued them for racial discrimination. So it's obvious that the guy was a racist. There's no question. Well, also, he owns buildings, and there, was, uh, there were lawsuits brought against him because he was profiling people into his apartments. He wasn't allowing black people. Yeah, and he lost millions of dollars in, that, in those lawsuits. Right. He's obviously a piece of shit. There's no question no about that. No doubt he's a piece of shit. However, what did he say that was so awful that everybody's fining him $2 million? He didn't he use said, the N-word? No. He said, don't take pictures around black people because it makes me look bad. <laughs> He said you can fuck them. Right. That was what's even crazier. That's an open-minded guy. You know what it was? This is what happened, man. The chick was getting sued. I don't know if you know this. Yeah, his wife the side was suing piece, her. The, chi- the wife was suing the side piece, which is preposterous. The wife, I mean, She ridiculous. was humiliating her husband. That's why she did it. Yes. But the idea was ridiculous. The idea that you can't, you can't take gifts back. The guy gave away some gifts. And he got the pussy. Can yeah. you give the pussy back? Like, what, what kind of ridiculous statement is that? I mean, it's, the whole thing is ridiculous. We, we're, if prostitution was nice and legal, that relationship could have existed in harmony for a long time. Right. If it was just above board, out in the open. I mean, he gave her... Two Bentleys, a Ferrari, and a Range Rover. Oh, shit. Yeah. And he bought her this fat fucking crib. It's, it's just prostitution. It's right. fi- it should be fine. And that kind of prostitution for a girl is like the perfect time. You get like a relationship with a guy. You don't have to fuck anybody else for money. This guy gives you a ton of cash. I mean, if that's what you want to do. He's even saying he can go fuck other guys. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I really don't. Just like I don't think there's anything wrong with someone cleaning your teeth. 
Is there? Uh, I don't, you think someone wants to clean your fucking well, teeth? Well, especially a chick who's been taking hot, thick ones from a basketball team owner. She she needs her teeth cleaned. <laughs> They're sticky and gummed up. He's probably got like tar that comes out of his dick. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> like cigarette tar. Right. Uh. Spider webs. Uh. Cigarette tar. Spider webs come out of his mouth when he comes. <laughs> uh. Like cobwebs. Uh. Like fogs of cobwebs sticking he, her hair. He wraps his ball sack around her neck three times. Uh. And Skull fucking her. <laughs> TMZ has a thing that like they he was out last night eating at a restaurant. Good and, for like, him. Like, the, they were like the balls on this guy. But but can you imagine how many like eating at a restaurant now? People are probably putting their pubic hairs in his. Tacos oh, he's a pariah. Yeah, he's fucked. Well, here's <laughs> and here's my take on the whole thing with like the the money thing. Like two point five million dollars ain't shit to that dude. He's eighty years old and he's got one point nine billion. For folks who don't know what a billion is, it's a thousand million. So he has one point nine thousand million dollars. You could take two point five million. He's not going to notice. He has too much money. That's point oh two percent of his money. And the interest he's making on all his money, like he'll make that back in a week. Right. That money comes and goes. It's like it's like finding a guy like you a hundred bucks. Right. It's like you're not going to notice a hundred bucks. It's going to be there. It's gone. He doesn't yeah. give a fuck. Yeah. But the public humiliation must be unbearable. What a way to finish out your life. I yeah. mean, even, you picture him even at his own country club that's filled with these reptilian blue bloods. Even those people are going to reject. What you said was good. What you said was good. <laughs> she was incorrect. She was out of line. She they needed understand. the correction. Good they, correction. They don't understand our world. The world of the billionaire Ferrari buyer. We will live forever. You know, it's, I went to the girl's Instagram, too, and it's like so many people are so fucking mean. It's, there's something, it's, it's a weird thing we've got in our culture today where people could just comment on videos and comment yeah. on pictures because there's folks out there that are just waiting for someone that they can yell at. Yep. They don't have any connection to this woman. Like, yeah. me, I, I, am, I was curious about the whole thing. I feel bad for the woman that she's that woman that has to sleep with this 80-year-old man. I feel bad for him that he's an old racist. I feel bad for the whole situation. So the wife? I feel bad for everybody. So I'm looking at it just out of a public curiosity because here's a story that I can't escape. It's all over my Twitter feed. But when I go to the, the Instagram and I see the comments, like the other people's reaction to this scenario that doesn't involve them in the slightest. Right. You fucking ugly pig whore. You know, get some more plastic surgery, you cunt. You rat, you piece of shit. Right. You know, you did the right thing, girl. Fuck him. You should have cut his dick off. I mean, you're, just, you're right. just reading fucked up comment after fucked up comment. Like, right. What kind of a world is this I know. where people think that's okay to do? Right. Like, they have pictures of their dog. They have pictures of them on a hike. They have pictures of their new car that they're washing. Then they have a fucking comment on someone else's Hateful. page. You fucking cunt. Right. You know, Misogynistic. I hope he cuts your tits off. You fuck with the wrong guy. He's got a billion dollars. You know? <laughs> just the meanest shit. Right, right. Well, and... and like, remember Monica Lewinsky? It was oh, like, oh, boy, did kid. they fucking hate her. But oh. here's the thing. This chick, mark my words, Don't in one year sh she will have a reality show. Yeah, you're She right. will have a pocketbook line. She will be worth a billion dollars. Well, in that sense, it's good. But it's in, in another sense, it's bad because they enter the world of hate. It's like, you remember when Kelsey Grammer's wife was on that Real, Real Housewives, Housewives of Beverly Hills? And then they broke up. Yeah. And, you know, and then she became famous for being like a mean person on the yeah. show. But the hate 
was so overwhelming yeah. that this wave of hate that came at her. Do you she think just she encouraged away, that at first? I don't think she knew what she was doing. Right. I don't think she knew what she was getting into, and I thought she was going to try to be controversial. You know, apparently she's a nice person. I know someone who's met her. She's a nice person. So she was trying to be controversial and do that show. She was That's trying the thing to... is you think about like Andy Coffin when he'd go into the ring and he'd fight, fight women and he'd call the, the, the Southerners rednecks in their own. <laughs> like he was courting uh, it and, and yeah. it was taken the right way. I mean, the, some people hated him and some people got it. But nowadays people, people go into it and they say, I'm going to be a fucking pariah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to represent everything people hate, and I'm going to make a lot of money from it. And they just figure out a way to rationalize it because of the fact that they're, you know, they're going to get paid for it. But you're also going to get paid back. Right. You have to realize you what you put out, the way you make people feel. You, that's exactly how they shoot back at you. Right. And there's some people that take it for no reason, and then you know you see a girl and she's just beautiful, and you know you hate her because you could never be her, or right. you hate her because you could never fuck her. You know, there's 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 always going to be people that are just really negative for no reason. But well, what do you think of the Kardashians? It's the same thing. I mean, look at the the hate that those those girls get. Look at I mean, do they deserve hate? What do they do that's so horrible? They do they don't do anything that's great. They do don't do anything that's interesting. They just represent yeah. the worst thing in America. But it's not the worst thing in America. It's not even close. It's right. just shallowness. Yeah. The worst thing is violence. The worst thing is rape. The yeah. worst thing is people uh, victimizing people, bullying people in school, bullying in the workplace. That's the worst thing. Yeah. Is meanness. Is is people just being violent, hurting people? What they're doing is just being idiots that are shallow, yeah. that run around, and they broadcast them in front of you with really clever editing, mm. so that you can't take your eyes away from it. You find yourself watching it for no fucking reason because yeah, the, like, re the real evil is the reaction to it. I mean, kids are watching the shit. They don't know that mm. she got her start by doing uh, internet porn. They mm. just think that she's oh, they fucking know. Everybody knows. Do they? Everybody knows. I don't think Everybody my kids knows. know that she's famous because of that. <sighs> your kids know yeah You're crazy how old are your kids your kids 16 right no 10 and 13 10 and 13 yeah. sorry 13 yeah. they know they fucking know All right by the time they're eight they're you know uh. they hear about blowjobs when they're like seven <sighs> one kid tells another kid that his brother got his dick sucked you're like what someone's drinking pee no 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 no, no, no. There's no drinking pee. It feels good. What? you like, what? And then they cover their dicks, and then they, they sit around the schoolyard. They tell each other these things. I was 11 out. when I heard about a blowjob, and, and I, <laughs> I remember thinking, like, I literally thought you blew on it. Yes, I thought so, too. <laughs> I thought the exact same thing. That's so funny. I thought the exact same thing. <laughs> and it, it just... It seems crazy. Now, look, people say, well, it's so gross. Girls are giving blowjobs left and right in school. And I think, good, it's better than getting pregnant. Let them suck away. No one's getting hurt with that. There's nothing wrong with it. You know, I had this conversation with some parents the other day. This guy was his um, daughter, um, you know, got a picture off her phone of her cuddling with her boyfriend. You know, but she's like 16. The yeah. boyfriend's like 16, too. And he's like, you know, you know, who knows what else is going on? He's all upset, shaking his head. Right. And then the wife was like, you know, talking about how when she was 16, it was actually another another mom was, was, was talking about how was, I know what I was like when I was 16. And I was like, come on, listen, boys like girls and girls like boys. We're being crazy. Mm -hmm. We're like, we're attaching all the same sentiments that the Puritans had and our parents had and their parents had. All these that we know to be silly now. Right. And all this suppression of natural sexuality is what makes people so fucked up in the first place. Right. And yeah, my friends, they have a daughter. And when she was like 16, 17 years old, she had a boyfriend. And at first I was like, I couldn't believe it. They were letting the boyfriend sleep over. 
you know, knowing they were having sex. And I thought, God, that's fucking twisted. But then I thought, I was having sex at that age, but I was in a car. Cops could have come. And uh-huh. the whole aura of it was negative and shameful. Why not let your kid feel that sex is a normal, healthy thing? And if you're doing it responsibly, then why not? Having a boyfriend is no different than having a friend. I think if you make it, if you make it different, it's certainly intense that way. But if you make it different, then it becomes different. Yeah. If you make it like forbidden, you had to attach. There's this girl that I dated in high school, and uh, me and her sister didn't get along. Her sister was just fucking angry, and I was probably angry too. And uh, we, uh, for whatever reason, we clashed. And part of the reason was her sister was really hot, like. the 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 one who wasn't so hot was always angry, and the hot one, like dudes, were just bombing on it left and yeah. right. And uh, the me and the the not so hot one got in an argument at school, and because of that, like the the sister was not supposed to date me. There was like this thing. So because we weren't supposed to date oh. each other, it was like this lot this hot. this romance that could never be you know put together it's like the tension like we were meant to be together yeah. you know yeah and then you know parents finally let me date her yeah somewhere along the line and i was like oh this is boring yeah this is stupid it right. lasts like a month that's why romeo and julia killed themselves <laughs> yeah they're like this is as good as it gets <laughs> they realize this is as good as it gets <laughs> I, yeah i mean the real problem that we have is with um the tension between males and females. That's the real problem, the anger that men have towards women right. and the anger that some women have towards men. It's so dangerous and pervasive. I think it's changing. I really do. I think that, you know, if you've been to Canada or Europe, the, 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 that feeling between the genders is very different. They're much more like friends over there. Yes, and Canada th- especially. Yeah, and I'm starting to see, you know, like, my, like talking about my friend's daughter, like getting to know kids of that generation. It's very different. They really do hang out. As a group, more the the men and women are on on more of a uh, even plane. Like my my son just had his first girlfriend, and it was very chill. It was like it wasn't. He told us about it, you know, and they weren't. It wasn't like a big high stakes adventure. It was just like yeah, we hang out, we have lunch together, you know, as a group, we go to movies, whatever. And he didn't. Fi- he felt like he was getting serious, so he broke up with her. <laughs> He's thirteen. He's like he even said he goes, I'm thirteen. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Well, then you've done a great job. Right. We put a lot of like artificial charge to things that right. don't that don't have to be there. You know, this this artificial in, like significance. I think a lot of it is them watching TV shows and movies where romance is always the fucking central thing. Every song that comes out. It used to be people wrote songs about shit. You know, Hendrix would write about, you know, purple fucking, you know haze and weird shit and now everything is about loving a girl or breaking up with a girl well those are the songs that resonate with people how many people connect relationships to a song right there's a song that i listened to that all i could think of is driving to this girl's house in the middle of the night there's a song radar love golden earring song oh right if right. i hear that song this is my girlfriend in high school moved across the state and i'd go visit her like we'd have a phone conversation like 10 o'clock at night she lived like a couple hours away at 10 o'clock at the night, I'd get in my car and drive to visit her and then listen to that song, Radar Love. You know, like, so yeah. that song to this day, I hear it, I think about that one person. Right. There's always like the weird song. Driving this at is night, our song. I got my hands on the wheel. Yeah. It's yeah. a great fucking tune, man. Yeah, 80s songs. I, fuck, man. I, I, I don't I, think that's an 80s song. Radar Love? Is it 90s? I think it's earlier than that. I think it's like a 70s song. Really? Let's see. Golden Earring, Radar Love. Let's see. Golden Earring had like three monster songs. Yeah. And that was it. But um, no, I had I bought a 76 Volkswagen Rabbit. And my, 73. 
It was 73? Yeah. Wow. Play it, Brian. And when I was, Radar Love on YouTube. I can remember every fucking song. I got this rabbit and I started driving to school my senior year because my school was about 20 minutes away. And uh, every song, Burning Down the House, like oh, I can yeah. name the 20 top songs that were on the radio then. Every one of them I still will listen to when it comes on today. It just brings me back. Yeah, there are songs that just you just instantly remember where you were. I was in my car in Boston and it was April and I was listening to a Prince song, Sometimes It Snows in April. And I remember, wow, this is, I got to get out of fucking Boston. It's <laughs> 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 not supposed to snow in April, it was you a fucks. signal, right. <laughs> Michigan or Minnesota where uh, Prince lived, that's just as ridiculous. Right. Sometimes it snows in April. We'll fucking move because that's crazy. That's spring, bitch. I know. And kids go to college there. People go like, I'm going to go to Minnesota to go to college for four years. Like, did you fucking visit in the spring? <laughs> you really should have gone around January and checked it yeah, out. Yeah, you know you can go to Arizona State. Right, right. It gets 50. Yeah. And a real cold spell rolls into town. I mean, shit, we went to college in Boston. I don't know what the fuck, but uh, I somehow didn't mind it. I guess I was drunk the whole time, but it didn't bother me that much. Well, the town is so great, it almost makes up for the fact right. that it's fucking cold as dick in the winter not when you're going to university of wisconsin man there's no reason to be there unless you're really into wisconsin type chicks chicks that can make their own cheese <laughs> girls know how to farm <laughs> and fart <laughs> imagine the farting wisconsin girls probably that's why they wear skirts in the winter i lived in boston so i went to school in boston but i don't know if i would have stayed mm. I don't know. I mean, I, I, if, if I had an option to go somewhere else and go to school, I probably wouldn't have went somewhere else. I was attracted because of the history of it. I just felt like it was an important city. So Why I shut the song off? So I sort of felt like it was a good place to learn. But then I stayed because there was a quarter of a million people my age all in the city, and that energy was crazy. Yeah. And then I stuck around because we were doing comedy. And then all of a sudden, one day, it was like you said, I woke up one day and I went, what am I doing? I gotta get the fuck out of this freezing cold, kind of segregated, weird city. It's a great place to be in the beginning, and then as you get older, like especially for a comic, there's a there's a trap, and there was a trap in Boston. We all were aware of it. There was a trap where you could be a local headliner and you can make good money, but you will never work the road. Yeah. So you'll be trapped in Boston forever. And we all would talk about it. There's certain guys that never got out, and those guys they were. They just showed us. They showed us that there's a flaw in this system. Yeah. It's awesome in the beginning. It's a great nest, but you got to leave the nest. But it's a great life lesson because New York becomes the same way. You go to New York and you can turn into a comic that does too much crowd work, that's too bitter, that doesn't do extended bits because, you know, you can kind of scrape together a living by being in the city and doing in-city spots. But um, it's really important eventually to go like, I got to, not that you have to come to L.A., but you got to get out on the road. Yeah, you got to do sets, like real headline sets. Yeah. The New York guys, um, we would work with them on the road sometimes. They would come and do like these Bob Gonzo gigs or John Schuler gigs in Connecticut. And right. They couldn't headline. Yeah. They, they, they had these 10-minute sets that they would do in the city. So they would go outside the city and they'd try to do 40 minutes. They just couldn't put it together. And there was no clothes. There was no builds. Yeah. The, it, the overall set just felt like a guy groping. And they would talk about being on the subway. And when you talk about being on the subway in Connecticut, they they alienate you. That's right. They're like you're not even you're not even into this. Yeah, and and the, and you're used to playing on race and homosexuality because yeah. that's the audience in New York. And you go to Connecticut, and they're like, who, who, what? Yeah, this isn't our energy. Totally different sort of an environment. 
Yeah, that's a weird thing, man. There's a big difference between the kind of comedy that you do when you're starting to put together your first few minutes, the kind of comedy you do when you want to do a TV set, like a Letterman set, or remember, like the half hour comedy hour, everybody wanted to get on that. Right. Mario Joyner. All and, those. Right. And then there's like a real road set. Where right. you gotta you gotta put on a show. It's mm-hmm. gotta start somewhere. You take them on a little journey, and then it's gotta wrap up tight. Good night, right. everybody. It's gotta be confident. You're mm-hmm. the orchestra leader. You're the alpha. You're up there doing. And in New York, it's like, look, nothing is more. I think of all those things. Working as a club comic in New York might be the most important because it forces you to follow guys like Tell and Louie, whoever's coming on that night. Yep. Keep your shit together. Stay cool. Learn that, learn that people are going to be getting seated and leave because they're long shows. They'll start a show at 8 that goes till 1 in the morning. Yep. So there's a lot of activity in the crowd, and you just got to gotta learn to deal with it. So it's crucial, but it's not the end. Yeah, it's a good place to fuck around, though. It's a good gym. Right. Much like the Comedy Store is a good gym for that. You know, that's the same sort of scenario where the show starts at 8 p.m. It goes to 2 o'clock in the morning. It's just a continual I got to start working there. It's the one club I don't work. It's dark. It's dark. Yeah, that's why I didn't used to go there because it was so dark and I thought that people get bumped a lot. But now I hear it's become uh, really better run. Um, yeah, I I hear good things. I've been hearing better things. Oh, you don't go there? No, no. I stopped going there. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. I stopped going there in the Mencia incident of mm-hmm. 2007. Yeah. I that was it that. for me. Yeah. February, I think it was. That's Seven too bad ago. because you're a good fit for the room. <laughs> yeah. No. I like the Ice House better. It's the same sort ice of house thing. Is great. But it's everyone's cool as fuck. Right. When you go there, it's like the whole staff is just super friendly. From the I get I get psyched when I see the bartenders. Yeah. I get psyched when I see the manager. Like everybody The owner's like a cool dude. He loves coolest. comedy. Bob's the best. It's like if I have a choice between a place to to work out, I always go with the Ice House. And the audience, I it's one of the weird weirdest things. You walk on stage they're smiling at you. Yeah. You haven't even talked, and they're just looking at you like, we're so happy you came. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for coming down. Well, those crowds that we put together when we do those shows there, too, it's like, they're so positive. Yeah. It's, they're so psyched to be there. Right. And then, you know, you're doing a show where there's like, you know, you're on, and Callan's on, and Duncan's on. It's like, they're killer lineups. Right. And so, it's, we've been doing them there for a while, and it's just, it's magical. So when I think about going somewhere else, like I do the Laugh Factory sometimes. I'll do the Dom Herrera show. Yeah, that's or fun. I'll do Comedy Juice, the Improv. I'll fuck around there, and I, I need to start doing the um, the uh, Flappers in Burbank. I need to start doing. Oh, is that, that good? More. It's real good. Also, West Side Comedy Theater is great. Where's that at? So right on the promenade. It's, really? Yeah, Santa, Santa Monica. It, yeah, it's sort of. It's really weird. You enter it from an alley behind the Third Street Promenade, and it's this little theater. But I'm telling you, man, these crowds are so fucking good. When it's are you going intimate. there again? I'll uh, go with you. Sunday. I'm doing a Sunday night in this a few Sunday? weeks. No, it's oh, in a few weeks. Well, let me know, man. I'm gonna yeah. go with you. Okay. Yeah. Wanna, Neil, Neil Brennan it. runs it. Neil Brennan runs a club. Yeah, right. Well, he runs a night. At oh, the he club. talked to me about that. Yeah. That's right. No shit. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I'll let you know. Come Damn. down. Oh, I, I'm excited to do that. Because I've always said, like, why? There used to be places on the West Side. Well, the Improv had a place right on Santa Monica Boulevard on the West Side. That so was did the, the store. Original, I don't know if it was the original, but it was. The store had one on the West Side? Yeah, a lot of people don't know that. Kinnison didn't really make his beginning in the store in Hollywood. A lot of the sets he did were in um, Brentwood. There was a comedy store oh, in Brentwood. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. That close. I don't know, a long time before I came around. I came around in 94. It was already closed. Yeah. So, um, Kennison and the guys down there, like Carla Bow, they like ran the show. 
It, it was wasn't Igby's, complete... was it? No, but there was Igby's. I couldn't work Igby's because I was dirty, but I was hanging around with uh, Adam Ferrara, and I used to go uh, with him. We used to play pool a lot. Yeah. Adam plays really good. Does he? Yeah, really good. And so we went to uh, Igby's a couple of times, and he would do a set, and then we would go play pool afterwards. Mm. Back when Hollywood Billiards used to be around. Where was that? Well, it was it, it was downtown. It was I forget where it was, but there was an earthquake in 94, 93, whatever it was, fucked up the structure they had to condemn the building. Mm. And it was a 24-hour place wow. back then. So then it moved to more Hollywood, Hollywood. And it was there until recently. So the place was on the second floor? No, it was downstairs, actually. Okay. You, you'd go downstairs to get to Hollywood Billiards. Yeah. It was a sweet spot. And then there was the Boston Athletic Club, which is another pool hall that was um, right off of Sunset. And it was an old athletic club that they turned into a pool hall. And it was great. I used to go Betting. there with Ferrara. It was a real pool hall. Yeah. It was a nice pool hall. I played there with a bunch of guys. I played there with Jim Brewer. I used to, that's where I met Max Eberly. And uh, that, was a, that was a sweet spot, too. But that place went under as well. That's great. Yeah, there's, there's no pool halls left in Hollywood. I know. Man. They're all gone. There's that one in Santa Monica that's pretty good. It's a great spot. House yeah. of Billiards? Yeah. I play at the House of Billiards in Sherman Oaks. I play the tournament there sometimes on Monday nights. Oh, I think it, I think you took me there once. It's great. Yeah. It's great. Those are the only places left. Right. But, I mean, for a game like pool with a population like L.A., there's 20 million fucking people I know. here. I know. The real L.A. Place. is – I don't get L.A., man. They, there's no late-night places to mm-hmm. eat that are any good. There's there's just a, there's a lot of shit that's just missing. Well, there's a few places that are really good, like Cantor's. Cantor's is great. Cantor's is fucking phenomenal. Yeah, it's a solid New York deli. It's the best pastrami in L.A. It is. And you can get that at 2 o'clock in the morning. Right. You can go there. There's um, Swingers. Swingers is really good and healthy, too. Yeah. Yeah. Swingers has some really good choices. Yeah. But for a city as big as L.A., I mean, I could, if if I had come up with my list, it would have been those same two restaurants. Mm. You know, that's it. There's not, you know, Norm's fucking sucks. Yeah. Apparently, there's a Pacific dining cart in downtown that's 24 hours a day. Oh, yeah? Yeah, the writers on Tosh were telling me how great it was. Uh Pacific dining cart's like a legit steakhouse. Oh, yeah. And there's one in downtown LA that's 24 hours a day. Yeah. So you can get a steak, like a real legit steak at a restaurant at 4 a.m. Wow. It's it's weird that LA doesn't have the twenty four hour thing in general. Like in Ohio, every store is open twenty four hours. Every like like we had Myers that was open twenty four hours. We had department stores. Walmart's were all open twenty four hours. It's Walmart's like, were all open yeah, twenty four hours. Yeah, all our really? stuff in Ohio is wow. open twenty four hours. But then you go to LA and it's like everything closed. Like even and even the, the Walmart's bars. out here. Closed. Like I was just at Fort Lauderdale. I didn't realize those those nightclubs around the Hard Rock stay open till five o'clock in the morning. Yeah, and then and then there's like. Uh, Clubs that stay open till noon that open at midnight in fucking Florida. Wow. Yeah. And L.A., 2 o'clock, done. People don't even stay out that late anyway. Yeah, that's a weird thing about L.A. Why is that? Why is everything closed up so early? New York is like 4 a.m., right? Yeah. I don't Last know if fall? it's because it's like a healthy city and people get up early and hike and do yoga and yeah, they take like work more grocery seriously. Grocery stores. That's a good, another good example. All our grocery stores were open 24 right. hours a day. Like That is a good example because people who work the third shift, that's tough action for them. You know, you want to get off work. You get off work at 4 o'clock in the morning. You want to go pick up some groceries. You can't. Yeah. All right. It's fucked up. Yeah, that's annoying. That would be annoying. Well, remember in Boston, you couldn't buy alcohol on Sundays. Oh, yeah. We used to go to New Hampshire. The Blue Laws. Right. So stupid. Puritan. It's all the Puritan. Jesus doesn't want you drunk. You got to get sober so you can listen to the father. The father. Let the father touch your pee-pee. Don't worry about it. In Ohio, we had drive-thrus where you can buy alcohol. (laughs) 
Yeah, they had those in New <laughs> Hampshire. Uh, they had yeah. those in Phoenix, too, remember? Yeah. Phoenix has them. Yeah, in Louisiana, they'll give you a mixed drink, but they have to. it has to have a top on it with a straw, and the paper thing has to be covering the top of the straw. We call it a sealed <laughs> beverage. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Louisiana. We yeah. Had a, we had a driver once in Louisiana, New Orleans. New Orleans. Great fucking guy. And uh, after we left... Um, uh, he was, uh, you know, he was driving us around. Rather, he was telling us about he, he was one time he was in another place in in um, Louisiana, and uh, he was the cop pulled him over, and he had a beer in his hand, and uh, the cop starts talking to him and asking him like questions and this and that. And he's answering the cop's questions, and he finishes the beer, puts it down, and pops the other beer, <laughs> and the cop goes, "What the fuck are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, where are you? he goes, where are you from? And he's like, New Orleans. He goes, okay, okay, okay. Listen, you can do shit there you can't do anywhere else. You can't just drink a beer in front of me, man. That shit, that's why I'm pulling you over in the first place. <laughs> and he, he goes, I wasn't even drunk. He wasn't even drunk. He was just enjoying a beer. Right. Driving another passenger. No, no, he wasn't driving. He was walking. He was oh. walking down the street. All right. He, oh, just, oh. he didn't see anything wrong with it. All right. All he thought, like, I'm on board just walking down the street. Yeah. Cop pulls me over. Well, what's the pot laws? Are you allowed to smoke pot no, in the street? No. Can you smoke here in your uh, studio? <laughs> Allegedly. This is what's going on with pot. Pot is decriminalized. And what decriminalized does not mean legal. Mm. So in California, it's decriminalized. In Colorado, it's legal. Mm. In Colorado, you could just smoke weed. But they were trying to inst- institute a law in Colorado where they would, they would bring out these, these sensors and they would have these things they attach to their nose. They look preposterous. They look like something from a Dr. Seuss book come to life. Yeah. And it's this thing that literally goes over your nose and looks like a bullhorn. And they would sniff through it. And if they could detect X parts per million of marijuana outside of your residence, they could go and arrest you or oh, find you. Oh, right. I heard about yeah, that. Yeah, but they, everybody, was, everybody was so negative against it that I'm pretty sure that they dropped it. Because yeah. people were so angry, like how stupid that was. Very 1984. Not only that, it gives people the ability to stand outside. It's You know what it is? It's people that were, for the longest time, enforcing a policy that's not, that's not valid anymore. There's the thing. See that guy's nose? That shit's real. <laughs> well, Look he face. looks like the type of asshole. <laughs> be looking. He's already frowning. Meanwhile, that guy needs weed more than anybody. Right, right. Put a smile on his Silly face. Bitch. Silly bitch. But, um, yeah, I was just in Colorado and I didn't get a chance to read. But, like, a couple of the comics I talked to, one of them isn't even doing comedy much because he's doing pot tours. That's what everybody's doing now for money in Colorado. They just do comedy at pot shops? No, no. The pot tours, people come into Colorado to, to oh, you go drive to the dispensaries. You drive them around. I don't think that they can technically buy it. I think you need a Colorado license to buy it in the shops. But you can walk through the shop and smell it, and then they'll buy it for you, and then they go out and smoke it, and it's like a whole tour, and they make, they're make they making fucking tons of money. Wow, that's interesting. So they, they probably have material that they do just for the pot tours, right? Oh, I'm sure they're, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they probably have a bunch of like corny pot jokes. But they said it's great for the economy. Everybody's making money. Oh, it's unbelievable for the economy. And that's what that fat fuck from New Jersey, that dummy... That Governor Christie? Christie, that fucking silly cunt. He was like, it'll never be there on my watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And he cites some unbelievably unscientific study that came out of some major university, which is like the really Heritage shocking. Heritage Foundation. I don't know what the study was, but it was about abnormalities and uh, marijuana, the abnormalities it causes in the brain. What does that mean? Well, here's what it means. What's normal, mm. okay? 
it, just because something has a certain content in it or your mind reacts a certain way without a drug, with the idea that, the, that it changing, being bad, you would have to demonstrate that there's something wrong with the people that it's changing. Like, what are you, what are you demonstrating that shows that this abnormality is in any way detrimental? Mm. Like, what are you showing? Right. Like, where are all these people that are smoking pot that are becoming shaking messes? Where are all these people that are smoking pot? Millions upon millions upon millions of people are smoking pot on a daily basis. Why is everybody, are they falling apart? Is everyone losing their job? Are they forgetting how to drive? Are they looking at their phone going, what the fuck is this? Yeah. No, this is not happening. Right. Like, you're not demonstrating any negative effects. You're saying the study shows a negative effect. No, it doesn't. The study shows a change. You can commission a study to say anything you want. Well, when you look at the word, the language in that study, it's not scientific at all. The mm. language is creepy because the language says, in, in one of the quotes, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, it was something along the lines of, you know, people that think that smoking pot even on a casual basis is, is fine. This study is showing that it's not good at all. Mm. Like, you can't say not good mm, right, at all right. because you're not, sh you're not demonstrating not good. Right. What you're demonstrating is a change. Guess what else changes? Y your fucking personality, your creativity, your compassion, sex, your, your sensitivity to sexual intercourse, you, the way food tastes in your mouth, your way you, you view other people, your, your sense of anxiety levels going down. There's a lot of things relief. that are going on. Well, these and these are the same people that will disagree with 98% of the scientists around the world who say there's climate change. Yeah. That are hard studies with real numbers that are scientific. Well, this Chris Christie guy is fat as fuck, which is one of the worst things you could be as a person if you want to be healthy. Shows okay. a lack of character. It does. It shows a lack of willpower. It shows a lack of focus and determination. You like what do you? How do you view life? And you you're going around in this sloppy meat wagon. That's what you are. You're you're not an athlete. You're not someone. Who, if you had a choice between being a person who respects their body and treats it well, or being a person that treats their body like a fucking Big Mac dumpster, <laughs> what's your choice? <laughs> well, you went with Big Mac dumpster. Well, guess what? You don't get to lead because you're you, not a leader. Yeah, you don't get to decide what's healthy when yeah. you're walking around, like literally to the point where you're going to have a heart attack. Yeah, you know, I think pe there was a study that showed that uh, people wouldn't vote for him because they'd be afraid that he would die in office of a heart attack. He could die of sleep apnea for sure. He has sleep apnea. When you're that fat, you have sleep apnea. Yeah, he probably snores like hell. I don't know if he sleeps with a CPAP machine. If he does, and he should. There's a lot of shit going on. But this oh, that guy's probably got on diapers, a CPAP machine. <laughs> He's got a Big Mac next to his bedside table. <laughs> There's a diaper that they're selling now. Tony, I'm Tony Zaragusa. For a lot of times of men, you you fucking get a little drippage is a tampon that you wear at the front of your diaper because your dick leaks man pond. and they're trying to sell it as like a normal thing yeah meanwhile it's this guy with this swollen inflated gut yeah. filled with undigested food and feces <laughs> that hasn't been pushed out yet yeah. fat that yeah. permeates all the different layers of his skin and tissue. And there's not a muscle left under there. The uh, muscles are all gone. I'm here to tell you that my dick ain't broken. <laughs> I'm here to tell you my dick's leaking. Trust me, just wear a tampon. Keep eating them fucking meatball subs. They're right. delicious. Fuck. They're delicious over here with these meatballs. They got meatballs and saw. They got monogot. They got they good. They do the thing with the peppers. They got the good peppers they put on the top there. Sausage. Like my mother. God oh. bless her soul. God bless her. She died of a heart attack uh, at 51. She uh, weighed 300 pounds. Uh, he's the guy driving that truck that beeped at me. Yeah, they fucking got ahead of me. <laughs> 
I got my fucking peppers here. I got my meatballs. <laughs> I know when I walk, my the fat on my feet spills over the outside of my sneakers. I like how that looks. I like a little waterfall at the end of my heel. When I step down, I just... Just pulls over, just rolls over. I it's like, nice. I like to waddle because my fucking gunt, my gun's sticking out. My legs can't stay straight. I like the way the back of my head looks, the the, the hot dog roll look. I like fat sausages that are growing out of the base of my skull. Just you, it looks like it makes you hungry for the fucking the the, the fucking for the, the, the sausage. A nice sausage. Yeah. A nice and fucking I like, Italian sausage. I like look at my face. You see a wrinkle in my face? You see any spider marks by my eyes? Fuck no, because the flesh is pushing out against the skin all the time. It's pulled tight. It makes me look young and vibrant. <laughs> look at my chins. Tight. All of them. Tight. I had a dude who told me that that was William Shackner's. William Shackner said this to him. He said, uh, he goes, well, he was interviewing him. William Shackner apparently is like 80 years old. And he goes, you look great. And he said, well, I realized that a certain year that if I just put on five pounds a year, I never get really wrinkly because my face is like pushing fat out. Right. Like, and he goes, I'm serious. Right. Like apparently like he, it's, it was a strategy to like to stay young looking Hilarious. by keeping your fake kind But I don't think you're supposed to be that fat when you're 80. I think that's I, like super bad for you, right? That's just bullshit. Like, because he's fat, he just made that shit. Right, up. <laughs> right. He's working backwards. But yeah. it is true. If you look at older fat people, they look way better than fat joggers or than Fuck older yeah. joggers. No, I started running two years ago and I lost weight in my face, and now I look like a fucking skull. I take my hat. I look like a look at this. When I take my hat off, I look like a light bulb. There's no the light hits it, and there's just look at I, I just all oh, my face and sunken you know, in. You liked it better when you had like a little plumpage. Yeah, I wasn't. You plump, but this is like uh, it receded. My chin looks like it's sticking out, and I, I don't know how to put weight on in my face. You know, that's once it's gone, it's gone. Yeah, that's the thing that happens with uh, women. They get fat injections in their face because you're as you get older, you're thin. You tend to thin out in the face. Yeah, and it makes a lot of them not like the way that looks. Right. So they get those crazy fillers too. You see the fillers? No. Ooh, that's a regretful decision that they decided to do. They so it's not silicone. It's like actual I tissue. I don't know what it is, man. I mean, sometimes they, they do do it with fat, but they use artificial fillers on their faces. Yeah. And when they use filler, it, it gives them this, like, pull up some images to try to be kind. Some Find one that has a woman's face blacked out or something so we don't have to mock her. But these poor people, they, they go to these doctors and they get this stuff injected in their face and it makes it look like someone beat them up. Like their cheeks start puffing out, yeah, and the cheek puffing out look sort of like diminishes wrinkles, right? And it gives this like fuller effect, but it looks so monster like. Yeah, there's a lady at my daughter's school, and she seems to be a real nice lady, but oh, well, that's a bad no. example. That's a lady who did it at the Seven Eleven. Yeah, <laughs> that's a bad. That's right. someone who did it badly. I always wonder, um, like you know. If you're married and you get a facelift or a boob job, you really just think like you getting ready to leave your husband because he doesn't give a fuck. I bet he point. gives a fuck. Maybe he wants. To, maybe it's a woman's idea. Maybe it's the man's idea. Who yeah. knows? Every every situation's different. But some guys get psyched. They'll tell you, "Yeah, my wife got a boob job." Yeah, yeah. Bitch, hey, Sam, want to see a picture? Look at his big tits now. Look at these. Want You want to fuck? <laughs> Come on, bro. Fuck my wife. Come on. Look at that juicy pussy. She had a couple oh. of babies, but they tightened it up nice. We tightened up the undercarriage. We tossed a little bit of uh, silicone down on the taint strip. Is that like a before feels, and after? Feels, yeah. feels like a baby's fist. Yeah, let's not show this poor woman. 
Mm. I don't. That's not a good example either. Some She's, people really get away with it. Like I don't know. I have no idea if Ellen DeGeneres got uh, work done, but she looks. Can you pull up a before after on Ellen? I don't know if she's doing exercise or taking vitamins, but whatever it is, her face looks 20 years younger than it used to. It's called having a billion dollars. Yeah. Yeah, she probably has doctors injecting fetus cells into her body on a daily basis. <laughs> you have that kind of cash? Fetus cells. <laughs> she had some. She had some house that she just sold recently. That, that you know it was like on a website that showed the house. Like, oh my god, some like fucking twenty-eight million dollar house. Well, she bought Brad Pitt and uh, Jennifer Aniston's house. They they built it and then they. Uh... Look at what she used to. No, that's like. not the <laughs> great after. example, Brian. He just nailed it. <laughs> Wow, look what she used to look like. That was crazy. But that the one on the right would still be the before. There's an after that shows her face much more filled out, uh, less less deep lines. Um, Do you worked for her? Two, I was there the first two years of the show. What was that like? I won four Emmys. That's really good. Yeah. What was it like, though, working there? The Emmys are uh, <laughs> they're heavy and they're gold. It says my yeah, name on them. You don't like to talk about it. Mm. I understand. Made a lot of money. I was on Ellie. Yeah, you Brian were? was on Ellie. He's yeah. a superhero. I was Is that right? Yeah, I was dressed up as. Uh, they 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 just grabbed people off of this park bench and they're like, "Meet at this park bench." <laughs> you hang out on park bench? No, 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 no. I was I was just I was in Burbank. They filmed in Burbank, right. and, and uh, I was driving. And this is when Twitter first she first got on Twitter. And she tweeted something like, hey, meet, meet at this bench in the next five minutes, dressed up as a superhero. So I was driving, and I'm like, that's the bench and I, like, while I was driving by. So I just like pulled over real quick and like tried to make something out of shit that I had in my car. And so I just dressed up in all blue and like blue scrubs. It was my girlfriend uh, girlfriend's like ER scrub shit. And I made myself look like the blue guy from, uh, what's that movie? The, Avatar? No, the, no, the Dr. Manhattan yeah, from the, uh, the, the, the Watchmen. And I even had a dick also because I had a sleeve. Uh, had where'd a you get dick. the dick? I, I had a sleeve. <laughs> 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 I had a sleeve and I put like a pillow in it to make it look like a dick. So yeah. I like like walked out with like a fake dick. And, stuff and you like got that. on TV. Yeah, yeah. Very creative yeah. when you consider yeah. the fact that this was all constructed based on things that he had just laying car. around in his car. Right. Yeah. Used condoms, Starbucks cups. Yeah. It shows a level of commitment that neither you nor I would have well, for getting on TV. Well, because what's the payoff? <laughs> no payoff. <laughs> <laughs> he gets to meet Ellen. Yeah. Did you see the new video of Rob Ford got busted smoking crack again? No! Yep. That's great! He's going, yep. he's going to rehab now. Yeah. Well, he, he that, I just love the commitment. Again. I, love, I love the commitment. A, vi- a drug dealer videotaped him. Oof. There, there's a, there she is. There she goes. Dancing. And then uh, she's talking about how I just got Twitter. And then I'm sitting at this. Wait, why is she wearing a tie? There's, she uh, liked to wear ties. I'm for friends a while. with this guy but, also. But yeah, she's a woman. So. But she's a lesbian. Oh. You didn't know that? No. Big, big stupid dick That's sleeve. you? Yeah. <laughs> I have like a, a back pillow on my head. That's such a terrible superhero. <laughs> That's the dumbest superhero ever. Did a, you actually get to meet her in person? Oh, yeah, yeah. And she, she gave me a bunch of presents. And we were on the whole episode. Like, she kept on going back to us. And, 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 wow. And yeah, she gave she me does a have a tie friends. on, just like a guy. That's yeah. weird. <laughs> I still have that shirt. My tweets are what real. What does the shirt say? My, My tweets, tweets are real. real. Oh, that's cool. You know what was great is uh, we they did this thing for Christmas, the 12 days of Christmas. And so they would come, like Oprah, like you get a car and you get a car. But every day for like 30 days leading up to Christmas, they gave the audience something huge. And so as a producer, 
we got whatever it was every day. So one one day I'd come home with like a Dyson vacuum cleaner. The next day was like a posturpedic mattress. Uh, you know, it was like crazy big gifts. You know, at the time, an iPod was a big deal. They had just come out. We got iPods one day, fucking TV set the next day. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, there yeah, was a lot of swag. Promoting stuff on television, like if you're on television and you're promoting items, like to think of the impact it must have to have your product on the pipe, the price is right or something like that. That's what people understand with product placement. It's like, you know, I, people probably send you shit, right? And you talk about it on your show. Yeah, definitely. I mean, think about what that's worth, you talking about something on the show. More people should send you stuff. No. I'm, call, I'm sending it out right now. too much stuff laying around here. Yeah. There's too much stuff. But it's nice to be able to help people, too. Like, you find out definitely. about something that you really like, get to Yeah, this dude is down it. in um, Chile, and they're taking, there's so much uh, plastic in the, uh, in the ocean. And so they're taking it all, and the fishermen, a lot of it is fish, fish nets, fishermen's mm-hmm. nets, and they take it and they recycle it and make it into skateboards, and now they're, they're selling them all over the country. So the dude's going to come in. He's sending me a skateboard. Me and my son make skateboards together. So he heard about that, so he's, he's sending me a bunch, and then he's going to come in and, and do the show. He's doing a tour of the U.S. selling these skateboards. So how do they, ret- how do they extract it from the ocean? The, f- the fishermen collect it and bring it into the guy. Oh, well, that's a good move. You make it worth something, like cans. Right, exactly. That's actually probably the smartest move when it comes to uh, figuring out how to do that garbage patch in mm. uh, the middle of the Pacific. Because if they can make it so that it's like a recyclable, like, you know, just like cans are worth X amount of dollars, if you could bring in X amount of plastic waste. Right. And then companies would, like, want to develop some sort of a, that's like, here's a billion dollars worth of plastic waste just floating around the ocean. If you can figure out how to extract it, you could profit. So they might spend millions to try to extract billions. Right, right. And it's, um... It's also like, uh, how, how do you get people to, I think it's the iPhones, they have a covering on the on the face of it that's titanium or it's some kind of metal mm-hmm. that's really precious that in Africa, it's another one of these things where there's mines where people are killing each mm-hmm. other. To, I think you're thinking of coltan. Is that it's, what it is? It's an, yeah, it's a, it's a conductivity uh, item, I think. It, it aids in conductivity. It's inside the actual phone itself. Yeah, they need they need a better program to recycle phones. Mm. A lot of them are getting thrown out. Yeah, no, I bet you're right, man. They also need another way to do it where they don't have to use these conflict minerals. Yeah. There's a phone that they came out with. This is like a karma-free phone. Like, that was what we called it. We started calling it the karma-free phone. But what was it? what's the name of that phone? It did come out. Well, why don't you look it up? It was, they should make a flip phone out of it. Well, it was <laughs> make a flip phone. There was a... There was a phone that it came out like a year ago, but the issue about it was that it was only 3G. It wasn't 4G LTE. People were like, well, I want karma, but I want to get my email really quick. Nobody wants to give up anything, man. It's so funny. It is funny. Yeah, I mean, we want we want it all. We can't take a step back. It's, it's crazy. And I, I get caught up in it. I get yeah. all the latest shit. Yeah, that's a that's a good one though. That's a good one because it was like it's almost like a test for the human race. You know, it's a great Android phone. It's very beautiful. It's got a nice screen, but it only has three G. What? Right. Give me that one that they they make with babies. And isn't that amazing? Because if it was personal in your life, if somebody said if you do X, 
you, your child will be killed. Or if you do X, uh, somebody's going to get their arm cut off by the John Jui somewhere in the Congo to get it. Then you wouldn't do it. But yeah. But somehow, because it's a faraway place, we don't take the exact connection that we know about. That if you buy this product, you're supporting this, and somehow it doesn't mean anything to us. Yeah. And I'm talking about myself. No, to almost everybody. If it's not as good, you don't care. You're like, fuck it, I want the best shit. I've always had fuck the best it. shit. The best shit's always what I've been reaching for. Right. Now the best shit's here, and there's this new thing. It's called the Fairphone. Why don't you play the video? Because they have a video on their website. Do you think that if you is. knew that every time you masturbated, you would lose 10 minutes from your life, do you think you would stop masturbating, or would you do it in a controlled way, or would you just say, fuck it? I think you'd say, fuck it. Because your life without masturbating would be so frustrating. It's like whatever 10 minutes you give up. It's a lot of 10 minutes in a day. Okay. I mean, if you're a maniac and you jerk off every day, five times a day, you're going to have a real problem. But if you're right. one of those once every few day guys, yeah. what are you giving up? You're giving up 30 minutes a month? Who gives a shit? Thir- Let's see this. What is it saying? Yeah, we have it. But what we don't have, a clue about what's inside this stuff. We don't know where it comes from or who made it. We know almost nothing about our stuff. That's why we started with an alternative for the thing we can't live without. Our phone. We are the people of Fairphone. Hey. Hello. Hello. Good day. Hi. Guten Tag. Hello. And this, this is what we're building. The Fairphone. As smart as other phones, but fair. Which makes it more than a phone. It's a beginning, a step in the right direction. We're making it happen. A smartphone that's made in a way that puts people and the environment first. Yeah, they looked happy. We're already working hard on the first batch. We're almost there. And that's where you come in. To start making them, we need you to pre-order. Hmm. Because by buying and owning this phone, you can make a difference. You become part of change. Buy a phone. Start a movement at fairphone.com. It sounds like a good idea. However, you're not getting my money before I see your fucking product. Yeah, I want it reviewed before I buy yeah. it. It's going to suck. I'm not going to Kickstarter <laughs> my fucking life. You know, like your whole life depends on your phone. They're going to use the Android operating system, which is, you know, nice and established and it works and everything like that, but... I need to know that it's not just a terrible, horrible piece of shit before I give you They money. need to make a prototype and put it out to the reviewers so they can yeah. let you know if it's worth your money. Yeah, and you also, like, that's the reason why people invest in companies. Like, you bring in investors. You don't get it from, why are you getting it Kickstarter style for a phone? That's just, that's not a smart thing for a person to invest in. Right. I mean, I guess the thinking behind it might be if a corporation comes in, they're going to demand that you use those metals because they want the pricing as low as possible. And, you know, uh, but if you. Would they definitely, though? I mean, it it doesn't seem like to me that it's impossible to find an ethical company. Right. There's there's companies out there that would look at what they're doing and say this this makes sense. I love it. I mean, I'm watching the commercial. I'm like, I love this. It makes makes you feel good. I mean, I want to buy shit that makes me feel good. I think a lot of people respond to that nowadays. Yeah. I wonder if it's all conflict free too. I wonder if they use coltan. I mm. wonder, you know, it said titanium and aluminum conflict free, right? That's yeah. what it said. It's it's so. Well, even if it's a step in the right direction, it's worth it. 
Yeah. Well, it's nice that people are thinking that way. They, they also, and they also realize that there's a market for it. That's the other thing that's nice. Is that well, people, that's what blew people away with the Prius. They, they had no idea it would be as successful as it was. Mm. People felt good buying it. I drive one, and I hate it. I want a Mustang. And, um, I'll let you drive my car when we leave. Yeah? Here. Yeah, we'll drive around the neighborhood. Go really fast. After this? Yes. Yes. It'll change your life. Is it going to be awkward if I get an erection while we're driving? No, together? no, no. It'll be fine. Just okay. don't beat off on my dashboard. Okay. <laughs> Joe will fun. take care of that erection. Yeah, I'll just handle it for you. You're my friend. This is going to be a good ride. I had a buddy who jerked his dog off. What? Jerked his what? dog off with his foot. Why? And I go, why? He goes, because he needs relief. So the dog would lie on its back, and he would put his foot on the dog's dick and go like this on the dog's dick, and the dog would squirt all over his stomach. You don't talk to this friend anymore, I hope. No. <laughs> well, you know what's amazing about that is it's illegal... Even though the dog, like Is my dog, every time I pet my dog, he tries to put his dick in my hand. So who's the victim? Who's the victim in the crime? Is it illegal to jerk your dog off? Fuck yeah. yeah it is. Wait a Are you serious? Yeah. yeah. It's okay to finger, but you can't jerk it off. Shut up. <laughs> no, but it, that, which means, I was thinking about this, it means that if there's a law against jerking off your dog, that means that some congressman stood on the floor and said... He proposed a bill saying you can't jerk off your dog. And every other congressman looked at him and went, this guy's jerking off his dog. Yeah, this guy's <laughs> angry. <laughs> He's angry at his own instincts. It's the only way he thinks he can stop is if there's a law against it. Crazy son of a bitch. <laughs> what are you trying to pull? <laughs> Did you hear about that fucking KKK guy? Who, uh, who's, I think he's one of the ones that shot up a, a school recently. It turned out that they had busted him years back with a male prostitute, a black male prostitute. <laughs> wow. And he's like this anti-gay KKK cat. They, Probably all about family. Because the KKK is all about family, they'll tell you. There's just so many people that are like that, just angry at it because they're, it's in their system and they're right. it's, they're just fighting it. They're right. fighting off the gay or they're fighting off the wanting to fuck dogs. Right. Yeah, there he is. Oh, KKK accused man. killer previously busted you with black weird. male prostitute. Grand Dragon. <laughs> he killed three people outside a Jewish center in Kansas and they, they turned out to not even be Jewish. So wow. he failed on three counts. Number one, he didn't even kill the people he's supposed to hate. Number two, he's fucking, he's not, he could have been a hero if he'd shot real Jewish people, but then he would have been rejected because then all his brothers at the KKK know that he was fucking a black male prostitute. Well, now they know, but he's going to say that that's just propaganda. That's what it is. The government. Gay Star News. I know. I was just going to say, this is the best website ever. What else? Ah! Gay Star News. You should do a segment on your show where every episode you check in on the top stories on Gay Star News. I I am. I'm for it. It's pretty smart. It's a way to go. I thought that that would be funny on a podcast to find some really obscure, specific website and just check on it every week. You know, like, uh, like, uh, you know, tulipgrowers.com. We'd have to be careful with what you promote, though. Because if GayStarNews.com turned out to be like propaganda, like the onion for gay news, right? Turned out to be satire and mean satire. Yeah, yeah. There's that. There's so many of these fake news websites. Yeah. I hate. Like, there's that Joe Rogan one that that got banned from the UFC because you failed your drug test. That's going around right now that everyone thinks it's real. Yeah, everyone <laughs> thinks it's real. So much so that a friend of mine sent me a text saying how much it was bullshit. Like, this is crazy. They're out of their mind. I'm glad the guy came up with that idea, got fired. Like, oh, Christ. What is it? There's a a website that made a parody thing saying that I got 
drug tested at the UFC, and I failed my drug test, so oh. they suspended me. Oh, no shit. And then they fired the guy who came up with the idea to drug test me. He's now fired. Like, the whole thing is so stupid. It's all fake. Someone just made it up. But th- it's not even funny. It's like, it's that's not. the thing that people are doing these days. They just make up yeah, stories. Yeah. Like, The Onion will make something up, but it'll be so ridiculous that it's funny. Yeah. But these, these guys aren't doing that. They're just making up stories. It's like creating they call a rumor. Yeah, they call themselves a parody website, but most people don't realize it's a parody website. So even if it says in a disclaimer, you know, everything on this site is full of shit, even if it says that, you don't read that. You read the fucking story because you get a link to the story. So right. you click on the link, you go to it, you go, oh my God, I can't believe they would do this. You send it to a million other people. They send it to a million other right. people. You read it on your phone, you're at, at, on you're the subway. And you're never getting the context of it. You're exactly. never seeing the disclaimer. Exactly. Even if somebody Googles Joe Rogan and UFC, that might lead them to that, right it's, to the article. Probably been seen by hundreds of thousands of people already. Jesus Christ. And passed on. I mean, it's, it hit me on Twitter who knows how many times. Did it any make it story. into the mainstream press in any way? No, 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 no. It's it's pretty obvious. All they would, I mean, they have been duped before, right. you know, where people didn't do their due diligence. But I think the mainstream press is a little bit more aware of that now. So they'll go and look at the source and then say, oh, look, this is a parody site. Yeah. Like people look for a parody site, like, right away now. But they call CNN's them... been duped. It seems like weekly <laughs> they get fucking caught on something. I remember with the Boston bombing. Remember they pointed out mm-hmm. a suspect who was not a suspect? And yeah. People surrounded his house, and his name is probably still shit because people won't even forget. They'll forget that it wasn't right. Right. Like, you remember that guy, the Atlanta bomber? The Olymp- right. Olympic bomber? Yeah. Guy didn't do anything, and they, they accused him of it. He was a security guard. They Life fucking ruined. ruined him. Yeah. Ruined him. And the amount of stress that guy got because of that, yeah. the hate that guy got because of that, must have been unbearable. Everywhere right. you go, people think you're a terrorist. You're getting death threats on a regular basis. Right. Some dude is in his car right now loading up his gun, driving from Louisiana to your house because right. he wants to defend America. Right. He knows where it is. I know where that motherfucker lives. Right. It's time to rock and roll. Yeah. He fucking gets in his car and starts driving to you yeah. because of because of CNN. What's he listening to on the radio? Right, I love. I'm driving through. Kevin Meany, right after 9-11, he was at the airport in San Francisco with his wife and kid, and, like, his daughter ran through airport security, and she was young. She was, like, three, and he went to go get her, and the police grabbed him, and he struggled, and he got arrested, and it got into the press that he was—and you got to remember how sensitive this was. It got—you know, they wrote it that he was, like, fucking with airport security, and he got blown up. It was fucking brutal. It was all— all over the news. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that now that you bring it up. Yeah, that, that was, was crazy. The airport security can get really wacky. Yeah. The, with the rules and, you know, the not understanding that it's a fucking three-year-old. It's right. It's the most ridiculous thing ever. Like, you're going to try... A person with a three-year-old is not going to be a terrorist, you dipshit. Right. The, the average person with a three-year-old... And the, with three-year-old saying, Daddy? Is that Daddy? Yeah. Mm. Relax. Right. Relax. Let the guy go back through. Right. Everything's going to be fine. Yeah. Shit. Well, it's, you know... It's it's getting to the point where they, there's you got to have some profiling. I mean, that's why El Al, the Israeli airlines, never had a terrorist strike because why don't we follow their methods, which is take a look at situations like that and put it lower on the priorities and then take people like yourself with a shaved head. It's kind of bulky. You've got that look in your eye and uh, swat you Profile down. Profile me. You know, yeah. get, a, get a cavity search going. I think it's the same thing that leads people to shoot dogs. It's just an abuse of power situation. Yeah. You know, it's right. the same thing where they know they can get away with it, so they do it. And they're frustrated. And that role, just look at it. They're patting oh down. Oh, wow. my Are God. Are you kidding me? 
Oh, mm. shit. Oh, my God. They're patting down these little kids. That kid's so like ridiculous. two. <laughs> they're combing through the hair. Look, they're looking in the oh hair. Oh, my God. Wow. That's not so real. Rid- it's totally real. It's 100% real. They do do that They're sometimes. grabbing her ass. Yeah, they wow. have to make sure it's a real ass. It could be a bomb. Holy shit. Yep. Look at that. They're touching Are they Middle Eastern? The Is that why they're doing it? Who knows? They look kind of so, Middle Eastern. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Wow. People are crazy. People are fucking crazy. And I'm glad people oh make Damn. videos of this. Yeah, that that parents supposedly did this, uh, filmed it of the t- these two kids. But this is going on forever. Yep. I've, I've never, never been patted down like this. Yeah, no. It's so stupid. Shut it off, man. It's making me sick. Usually they just grab. They don't grab your dick, but they touch you, and then they go to. They they just graze. The side of your penis on the front of your leg. To make sure it's not a bullet. You think my penis looks like a bullet? Like a, like a missile. Oh, like a missile. Right, 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 right. Not a little bullet. No. Like that. I'm no. Not, like a fucking... Like... Like a fucking sausage. He's like, fucking kid. He's, <laughs> he's packing enough for the feast. San Gennaro, you know, we go down a little Italy. We get the fucking sausage. Get the sausage. They put the peppers. You know, they got the Mona Gish. And they do it. The <laughs> bread they use is like a mama used to make with the yeast infection back in Mulberry Street. Oh, no. You went with yeast infection? Yeah. Do you remember that fucking... That festival? San Gennaro. It was on my block. I lived oh, on Mulberry Street. That's right. I People pissing in my there. lobby. I was like, I can't believe this crazy asshole lives here. Right. You lived like in the heart of Little Italy. Right. Between Prince and Spring on a five-story walk-up. Which Why did you choose to live there? What was that about? Well, you remember uh, Paul Lyons, comedian Paul Lyons? No. His guy who had, he had a, an opening. I was moving to New York, and he said, this, uh, I can sublet my, my unit. And I moved, I moved in there for three months, and I fell in love with the neighborhood. It was oh. all like, you know, everyone knew each other, and everybody was a character, and I met a couple nice people in the building. So a place opened up next door, and it was, uh, it was a one-bedroom connected to a studio, and they'd illegally popped out the door in between and raised a family there for like 40 years. And it was Tony and Gladys Ray Goo. <laughs> and so they uh, – and they – and I – I met them, and they were they had a place around the corner. Their son, Tony, who works in construction, he lives in Staten Island now, a nice house. He bought them a condo around the, around the corner because they were too old to climb up those steps anymore. So they're going to sublet it to me. And, I mean, they sublet like 400 bucks for this unit. Wow. But, but, and they were paying like 200 bucks. It was rent-controlled. And every and every Maybe I was paying like 600 And every month I'd walk around the corner, and I had to pay them in cash. But I'd go around, and first I would, they'd make me a cappuccino, they'd have cannolis, and I would give them uh, $400 in cash. And then when Tony would leave the room, I'd give Gladys the other 200 on the side. That's my bingo money. Tony doesn't need to know about that. No way! <laughs> and when I first moved so in... So there was two different prices. It's two different prices. Uh, there was a little kickback. And then that's... the place was literally one door over and upstairs from the... From the um, uh, what was the club that um, that Gotti belonged to? The uh, oh yeah yeah where yeah. he was arrested yeah and so uh, so social club what yeah they call it was it? the um, shit but but Tony says to me anything ever happens to you you tell me because you know I know people I'm not I'm not gonna say who I know but uh, I think you know who I knew and. Uh, <laughs> And so, like, and, and so we, I opened up, the, they left their furniture, and it was all, like, literally the plastic on the couch. It was, uh, everything had, like, uh, formica on it. And the end table had uh, an eavesdropping device on the phone, and it had bullet casings. Whoa. And it was, like, 
it, everything was just really fucking weird. It but was a Ravenite. The Ravenite Social Club, exactly. Apparently, uh, they were there. The associates, frequented by John Gotti and his associates in the late 1970s and 1980s. Yeah. <laughs> Around 1990, Federal Bureau of Investigation was able to infiltrate the mafia using secret electronic surveillance. Well, you know what they did? They couldn't bug the place. They bugged the place itself, and then they found it. So what they started doing was Gotti and his boys would walk up and down Mulberry Street and have conversations. So what the FBI did was they started parking cars on Mulberry Street and putting eavesdropping devices in the hubcaps of the cars. So they would pick it up. As they were moving, they would grab the conversation, and that's how they actually put them away. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. And every shop on the street, there was pictures of Gotti up. They fucking loved this guy. (laughs) And then at the time, there was this one dude who was... uh, he was up for, on charges, so he was trying to get an insanity plea. So he'd walk around the neighborhood in pajamas. Vincent the Chin Gigante. Was that Gigante. his name? Yeah. 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 He. Uh, not only did they do that, but when they would talk about him, they would just point to their chin. They would go, you know, it's probably a good idea, but, you know, he's got to know about it. No shit. Yeah. They would point to the chin, and then they would know who they were talking about. It. Wow. And he didn't allow anybody to use his name, and he would pretend to be crazy. So yeah. Walk around, shuffle. I don't think it worked. I think he. I think we're talking about him right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> fucking, we know we're pretty far on the outside. Well, the uh, and then there was this woman named Gina, and she had these three dogs, and she'd walk around. I mean, literally did laps of the neighborhood, just walking around. And she ran the numbers, and if you wanted to bet on the numbers, you'd give her, you'd give her money, and then you know how they picked the numbers is the last three numbers of the purse at Aqueduct the day before. Those were the three numbers. Wow. And whatever it was, they paid out on it. And she was all cash, and she would go. There was the shark bar on the corner, and uh, that was like the main place she hung out. But, I mean, just walking, and people walking up to her, shaking her hand, giving her like a dollar. Like, here's a dollar on 387. Wow. Yeah. My grandmother used to do that. Did she? My grandmother went to jail for six months. What? Because she she was running numbers, and um, they uh, wanted her to rat out the mob, and she wouldn't do it. She so was running the numbers herself. She was selling them. I mean, she was moving right. them around. She was doing it for the mob, but you know oh, how it works. Shit. You know, they'll have someone go and, you know, place bets and talk to this, and Marjorie wants 50 on that, and, yeah. Ma- and Gina, you know, thinks that th- this is her numbers, and she would collect the numbers, right, right. And, she, and then she'd bring them the whole, you know, she wasn't, like, making a ton of money off of it, right. but they wanted her to roll over. Who's <laughs> your grandmother? Yeah. So my grandmother <laughs> went to jail for six months. <laughs> And um, that's hilarious. Did you know visit. she was in jail? Not until later. I was not until I was like a teenager. Yeah. I thought that she was just was visiting her aunt. I was like, where's uh, where's grandma? Oh, grandma's with Aunt Mary. Like, that was always the story. So she, for six months, she was in the pokey. Whoa. She would knit fucking sweaters for the guards and shit, you know? Right. They just kept her in jail. Wow. Yeah. That's hilarious. It's pretty hard. You never talked to her about it. No, she would have never admitted to me anyway. She would have, yeah. my grandmother wore a wig and she was crazy. Yeah. You know, she, was, she was always psychic. You know, there was always a ghost nearby. There was like, there was yeah. a lot of, oh, she was nuts. Yeah. She was a really eccentric that's a, woman. That's a fun grandma to have though, isn't she it? She had a monkey. She had a monkey. She did? She had a monkey named Chi-Chi that used to live in the attic and he would no, bite, she... bite people. What? Yeah, Chi-Chi would chew gum. You'd give Chi-Chi a stick of gum, he'd open up the gum, take it out of the wrapper, put it in his mouth, chew it, and look at you all fucking <laughs> crazy. Scream if kids came near him, he would start screaming and climb on her. Yeah, she had a monkey. My fucking grandfather hated that monkey. Oh, my God. He must have loved visiting her. 
Oh, uh, it was fascinating, but it was the main reason why I was averse to relationships. That and my my own parents' relationship, which was horrific when I was a little kid. My real dad and my, my stepdad is a great guy, and he's been with me since I was like seven years old. He's a sweetheart. Like he's never uh, never hit my mom once. But the fights that my mom and my dad got into before my mom left when I was little, I was like five years old, were horrific. Yeah. And I remember violence and screaming. It was really, really hard to like ever think about wanting to be in a relationship because of that. And right. then my grandparents would scream at each other. Right. My grandparents wasn't violent, but my grandmother would. Like, my, they were b- both named Joe. It was Josephine and uh, my grandfather was Joseph. Uh-huh. Giuseppe, but you know, in Italy they would call him that, in America you call him Joseph. But they would fucking scream at each other, scream, "Don't rush me, Joe!" Because yeah. my grandmother was late for everything. He would have to tell her that something was at two o'clock if it was at six. Yeah, like this bitch was just late. Right. Like she was always, she wanted to put her wig on again. This wig doesn't work. I need another wig, and she put another wig on. It was just craziness. Yeah, she was always putting food together like she was a killer cook so she'd always like make homemade pasta and she would like if she were like say we all had to meet somewhere like my grandmother was just not going to be ready on time if there was a family gathering and everybody was meeting at six o'clock you know my grandfather would be all frazzled and they would be screaming at each other it was yeah. just so I, all i would ever th- i would associate relationships with screaming at each other and possibly hitting each other right. that's what i saw so i was right. like fuck all that yeah. and before seven i mean you you know this with kids. I mean, your kids are getting to that age where it's like you, the, the learning happens in the first, like Erickson, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Freud. They all say the learning happens in the first five, six years. After that, you're just corralling them. There's a little bit of that. I mean, you're certainly changing the way they interact with people. You shape it. And I don't totally buy it. I think there's a lot of times that's when people stop paying attention. They they right. have them for a first couple of years. They do that, and then they think, "Well, the kid can walk. Yeah, the kid can talk." And they right. sort of just let them walk and talk. And well, you know, most of their learning is done within the first couple of years. Right. I don't think you could say that because I've learned and grown as an adult. So how yeah, is... but you're an exception. You 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 no, you really are. I mean, I've said this before on the show. Like I I've known you. I feel like before and after. Not that before was bad, but your energy changed so dramatically, and I think you're. Um, part of it is we were young, so we were so hungry to make it that we were just, you know, competitive and fucking the, the anger was working in a good way. But then you you changed, and that's rare. A lot of a lot of people don't change. Most people don't change at all. Well, I came from a crazy competitive. The world of martial arts competition. Growing up, doing that, like Fed into forming. That. Forming my personality through high school, competing in mixed martial or in uh, uh, martial arts tournaments, full contact taekwondo tournaments and stuff. It was just too violent, and right. crazy. Like right. that, the idea of that being what shapes your life, and then trying to interject yourself into uh, normal society. Like you're always on hair trigger. You're always ready to smash things. You're always ready to fight. Like, it's like it's a really weird way to develop as a human being. So it took me a long time to calm that down. Mm. Yeah, because if you were raised with that kind of anger and that kind of physical violence, then the martial arts was actually taking that and putting more focus on it and developing it as opposed to developing other facets of, of your personality. Sort of. Um, it, cer- it certainly controlled it, though, too, in a way better way than just you know being angry, wandering through the street, yeah. like training and discipline and focus. The character development of martial arts had a huge impact on just 
me moving out of where I was when I was a young boy to moving where I was as a young man. So even though I might have been more prone to having violent tendencies because of my background, it was way more in control because of martial arts. Right. Way more in control. But it's just it wasn't just martial arts. It was competing. Mm. Just the, 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 the hardcore competition of these national tournaments was just... It's really fucked with you. It fucks with your brain, too. It, it wires your brain in a very strange way because it would be... Prepare for a tournament, be terrified, fight, be relieved for a little while, a little while, and then okay, when's the next one? And then yeah. start ter- being terrified again. Right, right. Start the stress again. Start the training again. You know, you can't slack off. Can't can't get injured. You gotta. You know, it was just. It was so much of it was like so much more stressful than just regular life. But in a way, it made you engage. I mean, I think kids that come from a childhood like yours have two options. You, it's fight or flight. You either get into drugs and fucking up and rejecting everything socially, or you can focus, hyper-focus it on something, which in a sense made you show up for life. It made you engage. Yeah, it, makes you, it lets you control that thing inside of you, too. You figure out how to discipline it. Because if you don't, those crazy, wild emotions, like a lot of people that engage in violent crime and violent activities and make horrible mistakes socially, a lot of that is this overwhelming response, this overwhelming energy that you've developed from just being raised in a terrible environment. Right. And my environment was nothing compared to a lot of people's. I mean, my, my environment up until I was five was pretty violent with my mom and my dad but nobody hit me you know i was okay it was what it could have been way worse we we always had food you right. know and then we got to live with my grandfather and my grandmother when i was five so i got to see that my mother was a, a strong woman and she set a positive example when someone's abusing you you don't just take it you get right, out right it's the first time i ever she saw she protected you and that's yeah, huge i think huge. one of the most difficult things with domestic abuse is to see that the that your mother is not fighting back and you see mm-hmm. that you become a victim yourself Yes. And that you feel like also you you're a vulnerable human being at that you need to be protected. That's the number one thing a parent is doing. And when you feel like you're not being protected, your world is fucking chaos. Well, not only that, it was important to me, I think, to see that my mother stood up for herself. Yeah. That she realized that this is no way to live life. And no matter what a person tells you, they tell you they love you and they hit you. This is not love. You got to get out of there. And so it made sense that we left. Like, I never felt bad that we left my dad. I I felt weird that they weren't together anymore, but I never felt like my mom did the wrong thing. I knew she did the right thing. Really? Yeah, it was no doubt about it. Even at five, I knew we had to get away from him, you know? That's really weird because most kids, there's, you know, that that relationship of your parents being together is... It's life itself. It, yeah. it is sustenance. It's food. It's protection. That their units staying together. So for you to feel otherwise is that's very rare. It was pretty obvious, man. When you, when you see your dad hit your mother, yeah. When you see, and I I remember just I remember what the sheets looked like on the bed. I remember the the layout of the house. I was five. Mm. I remember the path that I ran to get out of the kitchen when he hit her. I remember all that shit. My mother brought home hamburger, and uh, she, you know, she went out to get something to for dinner. And my dad got upset that it was just hamburger, so he slapped her in the face, just whacked her in the face, and she dropped. And I ran, and you know, I was probably around five, somewhere between four and five, I guess. And it just it stained my brain. Like I'll never forget it because sometimes if you see a conflict and you walk in while the conflict is happening. 
you don't know what happened. You just see violence. You don't know why someone's hitting someone. It's very confusing. But when you see it from the beginning, there was no room for rationalization. It wasn't like my mother tried to stab him and then he slapped her. There was nothing. There was just my mom came home. She had hamburger. He hit her. He's evil. It was like immediate. He's evil. He's an animal. All I could think of as a little kid was, wow, my dad's a piece of shit. You know, and that all these ideas that you have about every kid wants to think that his dad is the greatest, like his dad's Superman, his dad is the most righteous and the smartest and coolest. But I knew my dad was a piece of shit. Yeah. Because my mom was, my mom was a sweetheart. She was just, my mom is, because of the fact, I think, that my grandparents screamed at each other all the time, like they yelled constantly, my mom rejected that, like wholeheartedly. She never screams. I don't think I've seen my mom scream in her entire life, in the 60 plus years I've known her, that she's uh, rather been alive, uh, in the 46 that I've known her. But she also engaged with you. She didn't. Yeah, she's she's a great mom. She's she's a nice person. She's a, a, a kind, nice person, but. Well, they say if you if you know if it no matter how bad your childhood is, if your mother is strong and you have a connection with her, you're you're going to be okay. Uh, it, I think it, it certainly uh, is way better than not having that for sure. But I think that not having a relationship with your father or having a terrible one can really fuck a guy up. You yeah. know, I know a lot of men that are grown men that will you know still complain about the relationship that they have with their father, about their father did this, and he didn't encourage me, did that. And at a certain point in time, it's like, you got to let all that shit go. Right. Like, right. you got to move past that. And it's hard to move past that if that guy's still in your life. Yeah. You know, I have a friend who has a bad relationship with his dad, and, you know, his dad's insulting, and his dad blames him for his own childhood, and they have these crazy flare-ups and then he'll cut him off and won't talk to him anymore. And then his dad will send him a long email apologizing. Then he'll let him back in. Yeah. And, like, and, and I, nothing's changing. The father's staying the same. Mm-hmm. So it's really about your, it's always at your weakest point that you let him back in again. Yeah. I mean, there was a divorce at an early age. And, you know, they would split time between the dad and the mom. And phew, it's hard, you know, because my advice is like, cut him off. He's cancer. Right. Fuck him. Move, change your change your number. Move. Don't let him know. Just right. get that dude out of your life. Right, just, right. just. You don't need that idiot. He's yeah. 60 fucking years old and he's still stupid. Yeah. He's still some dumb asshole that ruins everything. Just yeah. move on, man. Yeah, and that hitting is not coming from a place, like you said, you saw your mother did nothing. Mm-hmm. And so you realize that uh, anytime somebody is hitting a child or a spouse, it's their own anger. Something's happening in their life that they're out of control and they're venting it. It's not like, especially hitting a kid. Some people, well, kids, I love when comics talk about that. Like, when I was a kid, there was no timeouts. There was a fucking smack. And there was it a knockout. There was a knockout. And it was like, yeah. And that was really fucked up. It's yeah. no, Don't be nostalgic about child abuse. It meant that the dad didn't know what the fuck he was doing. And he was letting off steam. It's effective. It, it definitely puts you in line, but it also ruins you. Right. Fucks your head up. The idea that that's a beneficial thing is so stupid. Right. It's never good to hit kids. Nope. You know, but, you know, the nostalgia for shitty parenting, the the way their parents were raised and their parents were raised, people got to get past that. We got to get past all that. That's the number one problem with humans today is they're raised poorly. The human body and mind together as a cohesive unit is like the most complicated piece of machinery in the world. And developing it is free. Anybody can do it. There's no one can tell you how to do it. And it's the most important resource in our entire society is new human beings, nice human beings. 
and they're all being developed by fucking idiots, shitheads and idiots responsible for yeah. a, a great percentage of the world's population, like as far as like how many they're shitting out. And there, there is, there's no training. No there's training. No, like, you know, there was that movie no Parent, Parenthood with uh, yeah. Keanu Reeves where he said like, what was the famous line about like, uh, any asshole can, uh, if you want to get a fishing license, you yeah. have to take a test, but any asshole can have a kid. Yeah. And it's like, it really is amazing that there is not more, uh, and they're starting to see more and more of this. I just did this benefit for this amazing place in Cleveland called the, um, fuck, I'll, I'll think of it, but you, they take families in when they're in crisis. If the mother feels like she's going to be, or she's hit her kid, she doesn't want to hit him again. They're about to get thrown out because they don't have rent money. Uh, they the Providence House. They come in and they can house the kids, you know, for two, three months. It's sort of a buffer before you go into like a homeless shelter. And they give coaching to the parents. Here's how you deal with it when you're freaking out. You think you're going to hit your kid. Wow. Here's some substance abuse problems. Here's parenting classes. And at the same time, the kids are being taken care of and they're being given tools. And it's amazing. And you're starting to see more and more of these kind of stopgap uh, agencies coming up that can get get in there where there's a problem and you know reformat the hard drives so that that parents are getting what they should have gotten when they were younger, which is an instruction manual. And even as they're older, it's like the amount of time that we spend doing things that are important, like uh, food and exercise and 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 making money and having a career. Those are all important things, right? And we spend a tremendous amount of of time doing those but managing your mind and understanding how your mind works and understanding the bad patterns that your brain can get into and giving yourself tools whether it's meditation whether it's yoga self-help books can be profound sure without a doubt without a doubt but time and focus on improving the quality of your thinking right. improving the quality of the way you interact the relationships that you have with other human beings Time spent on that is so um, underemphasized. Right, right. And it should be a core part of what it means to be a part of a civilization. Yeah. We should have community groups where we meet together and we all like exchange ideas and re-emphasize the idea that it's important to have community. Re-emphasize the idea that it's important to treat each other well, that the kids should treat each other well, that all this should be passed down, that those aren't enemies out there in the street. Those right. are all your friends. That we're all in this together. Right, and a big problem is that we no longer have communities. I mean, you talk about Italy, and you know, I yeah. just read this piece about these, these people that live really long in this small village in Italy, and it's not just the diet. It's the fact that there's you know 200 people in the village and every day you walk to your job and you stop along the way and you talk to you know mrs margotti what's going on with your husband and and there's mm -hmm. this interconnection that makes people feel and like you said you things get in perspective you know you, you the, the balance of your life is there and and when you lose that and you move to cities i mean think look at us we don't we live on the other coast from our family you know and the people i don't know the people in my neighborhood and it's just like who the fuck am i and so it's like you do have to create you have to, like, let's go to dinner. Mm -hmm. You know, let's get, you know, uh, there's mommy and me groups where, you know, mommies and their kids. That, that was a really great experience for my wife having that. But, you know, creating what, what we're lacking now, which is the groups of people communicating and supporting. Without a doubt. It's one of the most important things as a human being to have. To be like a lone wolf. Every lone wolf I've met is a dick. 
<laughs> Those guys were all dicks. Right. Like, right. that was always, like, the thing that everybody wanted. The guy who could just get on his motorcycle and ride across the country by himself. He didn't need anybody. Drive off into the sunset. How does the Clint Eastwood not have 100 friends? Like, what's going on? Why is this guy just <laughs> hopping on a horse, showing up in town, and shooting everybody? Because he's an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> his, his fucking lone rider's a dickhead. Right, right. He's forty right. years old. Where's yeah. his friends? Right. The fuck's going on? Yeah, his horse is out front. He sits down, orders a shot of whiskey, flicks a nickel on the bar, fucks a whore, Who and leaves dick? again. What an asshole! <laughs> a nickel, a fucking nickel for a glass of whiskey, and you just dumped a hot load in that horse. She's gonna Wh- have a baby. Why are you riding a horse across the country? <laughs> That's 2014. Where the fuck are your friends, man? <laughs> What do you got a flip phone for? You got to get in touch with people, man. That's a fun thing that we always romanticize, the lone wolf. Right. Those guys are almost always idiots. It's the Marlboro man. Look at him. Smoking. Those guys all died. (laughs) Every one of those guys in the ads died of lung cancer. bad. They died a bad way. It's an awful way to die. It's a way of saying, stay away from me. I'm blowing Mm. a fucking stinky cloud around my face. My breath is shit. My teeth are brown. Tell smokes two packs a day. So oh, it's unbelievable. Two packs. Yep. That's a lot. Stanhope's probably close. My dad smoked three and a half packs a day. Dropped dead at 51 Ooh. of a heart attack from it. Boom. Wow. Three and a half packs a day. Three and a oh, half pack. He used to get up in the morning. That's like one every seven minutes or something, isn't it? He, that, yeah, that's what I figured out. It's about five, seven minutes. He would light a cigarette and, and smoke it on the edge of his bed. Throw it in the toilet because I was I would always remember I'd, and he wouldn't flush it. I come down and there would be yellow water and there would be a cigarette, just you know floating in that. Then he would light another one. He'd put it on the basin of the shower. Get in the shower halfway through. Lean out. Take a couple drags of the cigarette. Wow. wow. Yeah. Wow. And he was in radio. He would just sit there and. Just when you were a kid, you would see yeah, this? yeah. And I had asthma as a kid. My mother smoked a pack a day. And this is New York. Our windows are closed most of the year because it's cold. And they would just chain smoke. Driving in the car, chain smoking. Yeah, With you in the house. Right, right. It's amazing you don't smoke. I did smoke for, you know, you know, typical teenager, early 20s. And then I had asthma. It would give me fucking asthma. That's crazy that they would, like, leave you in the house with all their smoke. Right. There's no way it gets out. It's just you would smoke. You were smoking when you were a little kid. Whether you recognize it or not, you were a smoker. Right. Wow. And I remember we we used to have to change the carpets and the and the couch every once in a while because it would it would stink from all the smoke being Oh my God. Mom's a chain smoker, dad's a chain smoker. Right. And the kids are just suffering and they don't even care. Right. They're not even paying attention to the fact they're blowing smoke on their babies. Right. Taking the kid, taking the kid to the doctor's Ooh. office once a week to get shots for his asthma. Oh my! No connection God, there whatsoever. That's so crazy. Yeah, it was nuts. That makes me sad. That's why dude. I try to watch Mad Men, but I get so bummed out with all the smoking. It starts to really bother me. Wow, Daddy, what a fucking amazing trick they pulled on the American people or yeah. people in general. Get them to poison themselves, make it acceptable to not just poison themselves, but poison themselves in a way where your babies get exposed to your ignorance. Right. We didn't know it was bad for you. A, fuck a lit flame that you're inhaling. Get the fuck out of here. You're smoking cools. You didn't know it was bad for you. Right. My mom used to smoke cools. She black? No, no. It's Italian, though. 
A Santa Maria. Is it, talk about marketing. Look at how many black people smoke cools. Yeah. White people, it's like you can pick a race and I can tell you what fucking cigarette they smoke. Some uh, Italians smoke cools in the yeah. 70s. Yeah, my mom smoked cools probably, yeah, in the was, 70s. You lived in the city though, right? Newark. Yeah, and that's why she smoked cools. That was yeah. probably a lot of people around you smoking. Well, that. it was a confused neighborhood, man. When it was, uh, when my grandparents, my grandparents moved to this place called North Ninth Street. In Newark, New Jersey, which in this day is more of like a South American or maybe Dominicans and some some other uh, Spanish-speaking people. But when they first moved there, it was all Italians. It was an Italian neighborhood. The Italian immigrants would come in. My grandparents came in from Italy when they were children. Their grandparents were full-grown. They took their family, brought them over to Italy. So both my grandmother and my grandfather were both born in Italy on my mom's side. And so they they come over to America. They all move to this North Ninth Street neighborhood. They they have a family. And then when my mom and her brothers were young, they did a thing called blockbusting, and that's how they got people to move out of neighborhoods. Real estate people to generate sales would sell a house to a black right, 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 and then tell everybody, "Hey, the You're- blacks are moving in. It's Property tight. values are going to go yeah. down. You sell better sell." Now. Right. So people would sell in a panic. But my grandfather was like, I like black people. Get the fuck off my lawn. Get me so some cools. He kicked them out of there. My grandfather was like, he, that's one thing. He, you know, you think of old Italian people as being racist. My grandfather, I never saw him ever say a racist thing in his life, yeah. ever. His next door neighbor was black. There's a black family that lived next door, like all throughout my childhood. This kid, I would play with him. I would go next door and play with him. Was this uh, this black family that that moved next door? And my grandfather and the the guy who lived next door, they would hang over the fence. You know, the guys would like sit on the fence. They would like hang their arms over. So what's going on with Bobby? How's he doing? Right. Oh, Bobby's in school. Like it was like they would have this bond. Right. So the, like racism to me was completely alien, but because of my grandparents. But it's actually very empowering for a child to see their parents interact with different races because you are, you're getting different. That, that child yeah. is seeing other messages out there that are racist. And when you see your parent, you know, have a relationship, it really makes you feel like, wow, life isn't mm-hmm. bad. It can be, you know, this is... Well, there was a really poor neighborhood, but um, my grandparents' neighbors were very friendly and they got along great. But the neighbor on the other side was a crack dealer. And uh, he was a kid when I met him. He was just a young kid. We were around the same age. Black and, kid? Yeah. And then when I went back, um, they didn't live there anymore. Or did they They did live there? But anyway, the kid next door was selling crack. This was when I was like maybe in my 20s. I came back to stay with my grandfather for a while when I first moved from Boston, New York. And uh, they battering rammed his door. <laughs> and oh. they fucking broke his door down, like, right when I was moving in. Damn. Like, they, they, they broke this kid's door down and arrested me in an Audi in the driveway. The, so the neighborhood changed radically. It went yeah. from being all Italian to uh, black. And yeah. a few Italians that held out, like my grandparents. And then there was, like, this bakery that was down the corner that had been there since, like, 1920 that was all Italian. And then, you know, my grandparents would walk to the bakery and right. get, get their bread every day. But uh, then they sold, the black folks sold and left too. And then it became like Dominicans and Puerto Ricans. Right. And it's like sort of like like in a lot of countries you have waves of of immigrants. Yeah, the Dominicans have been the – they're the, not the most recent wave. I, now you got Eastern Europeans mm-hmm. coming in. But, I mean, the, the when the Dominicans came in, man, they fucking came in. You talk about – like, I was born in the Bronx in this neighborhood called Throg's Neck. I lived there until I was like five, and that's where my mom grew up. That's where 
my my wife's mother went to the same high school as my mom. Wow. St. Helena's in the Bronx. And uh, it was a pocket of solidly Irish people and Italians. And to this day, you walk through that neighborhood, it's all Irish, Italians, still, still. And some Dominicans. Wow. They got in there. But it's like, it didn't change. It's still got, like, you go to the meat store, you go to the... Uh, you know, the cheese shop, it's all, you know, this ice cream parlor from way back when. It's all, it's like fucking Europe. That's what they, for people who don't understand, like, like Spike Lee was trying to fight against gentrification in Brooklyn. You know, he was talking about how it's so crazy that, you know, they, they, all these people move in and then they make these rents expensive and the people that have lived there for years and years can't live there anymore. Right. And he, the way he's talking about it, like, people are like, well, you know, do you live there anymore? And he was like, well, I can't live there anymore because I did. But people kept ringing my doorbell. You know, they knew where Spike Lee lived. Right. He lived in a normal place. They just ring his doorbell. Yo, Spike. And he goes, my wife made me leave. Like, you could right. tell when he was saying that it was true. He goes, but right. I still have love for that city. Right. But that city's like, those cities, especially like Brooklyn, there's areas of Brooklyn, they're just, they're just moving people in. And it becomes trendy to live in this once quaint neighborhood. Right. And then the real estate just doubles and changes. Well, and... Venice, right? I, I, mm-hmm. I've got a house in Venice the last 13 years, and we, when we moved in, it was like 10 years earlier, it was the number one homicide place in the country. It was all gangs, and then they got the gangs out, and they're cute houses, not big, but, you know, craftsman-style houses, but all walk streets. So you got a, you know, a sidewalk with house on either side. Like Callan used to live there. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, you know that neighborhood is fucking beautiful. Great neighborhood. And so uh, all of a sudden, though, it's getting to the point where my buddy was renting an apartment three doors down from me. And this is a guy who I lived next door to. And when I was talking about neighbors, I was friends with on Mulberry Street. This guy, gay guy, I became really good friends with. He moved out to Venice. So we bought, we bought a house three doors down from him. One of my best friends, he's got to move. They're fucking tearing down his apartment. And they're putting up like luxury uh, duplexes, and he's like, I can't afford to live in this neighborhood. He doesn't make any money. So he's wow. like, I got to move back to New York. <sighs> wow. Callan sold his place just when they turned, the neighborhood turned because Google opened up an office there. Right. So as Google was setting up shop there, a bunch of people started looking for places to buy, like executives and stuff, and Callan had a really cool place. Right. And he made this insane profit. He was like, right. just when I put it on the market, that's when the property values went crazy. And it, But it's still going up. I get, I get offers all the time. I get unsolicited offers on my house for like two and a half times what I paid for the house. Wow. But well, I you're get, hanging on to it. Because it's got, it's got. I, I think we're gonna retire in that house someday. Oh. And, but, but the front, it's we outgrew it. It's a, you know, there's a front house with like, a, you know, a big bonus house in the back. But it's got a two bedroom apartment above that and a studio next to it. So we rent out three units in the oh. house, and that's that's gonna put the kids through college, and then we're gonna live in it when uh, when they move out. That's a good idea. That's a good move. That community, like, I, I have a, an affinity to be, for beach communities. Yeah. I think there's something about living near the ocean that has this uh, sort of unspoken mellowness to it that just comes from being next to something so humbling. Right. You, know, you can't, like, think you're really important or you're the shit or life is so powerful and meaningful when you're standing next to the most insane body of water known to man. Surfers really seem to be the happiest, most balanced people you meet. Their priorities just are different. They get up early in the morning, go ride some waves, and then nothing else seems to matter. Yeah. I don't get it. I mean, I, I do get it. 
but I'm scared of sharks. So oh, I don't surfing? Get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, surfing's a it's a pretty intense thing. I mean, I, I've done it. My daughter's really into it, so we go a lot. And, really, you go yeah, a lot. Yeah, we last summer we would go like three, four days a week, and wow. she, big fucking eight foot long board, and she's tiny, and she gets on that. She's got great balance, and she gets on it, and she just jumps up and rides these waves. Not she doesn't ride the big waves. She, like once they crash, there's uh-huh. like that giant foam. She right. kind of rides that. Oh, wow. But but actually riding a wave is a whole different story. I, I've tried it a bunch of times, and man, if that front tip of the board goes down, you just flip, and that shit's flying over your head. It's like, fuck this. Wow. Where do you guys go? Venice Beach. No shit. Straight out. Everybody thinks Venice Beach is, it's got this reputation for being dirty and whatever. That was years ago. There's this thing called Heal the Bay that there's a lot of big celebrities like uh, Julie Louise Dreyfus and... Uh, uh, what's her name? It was married to um, Schwarzenegger, uh, Maria Shriver. Shriver. They're, they've been all over the shit for 20 years, and the beaches, they have a rating on them. If you go to HealTheBay.com, it gives a rating on the cleanliness of the water from Malibu all the way down to Marina Del Rey, and Venice Beach, A-plus all the time. Wow. That's amazing. I didn't know that. I had no idea. Is there ever any assholes surfing? Because that's one thing I have friends yeah, who have surfed. Yeah, there is. I'd say there's a lot of arguments. Right. It's very um, because it's trendy. You got all these guys, these newbies come in and they get their board at Costco and they don't know what the fuck they're doing. And it's all about when you drop into the wave. You right. know, if, if another guy's already on the wave, you can't get in his path or he's uh-huh. going to get fucking pissed. And yeah, there's like fist fights out there. Yeah, some I have um, a, a friend uh, who would go surfing there and he always tell some new story about almost getting into a fight. Oh, Teddy Ift, but Eddie Ift. Oh yeah, he, right. He tells a story about almost getting in a fight everywhere he all goes. Right. It'll be at the fucking supermarket. And I'm telling this guy, right. fuck you and right. fuck your mother. How about that? Right. I know. It's true. He's always got a story about almost getting a fight. Yeah. I'm like, at certain point in time, son, it might be you. Yeah. What's the common denominator it's here? A little wired. A little wired up. Yeah. Fucking tense young man. Right. That's a dangerous way to go through life, man. I realize there's times where I'm fucking, I'm on my edge so hard that I'm scared because I know if somebody cuts me off or whatever, that I'm going to go. Ooh. And I got to really fucking breathe. Yeah, and you got I that gotta, Irish temper. I got to power of now it down. <laughs> yeah, Eddie F's a nice guy, too. It doesn't make any sense. Nope. But he'll, he'll tell these stories, and you're like, wait, 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 what? But I'm going on my interaction with him, which has never been anything other than pleasant and fun. Right. Like, I love hanging out with that guy. I love having him on podcasts, doing comedy shows with him. has always been fun. Yeah. He's a fun guy. But he'll tell you these stories. about. told me a story about a bar where he told some woman, you're the worst fucking human being I've ever met in my life. Yeah. I hope you die in a fire. And he's saying all these horrible things, and the fucking bar's... Patrons are chasing him out into the yeah. parking lot. And like, what are you doing, Eddie? Right. <laughs> what, the fuck's going on? what is that? What's causing this? Right. Isn't I like it? when you see comics that are like otherwise nice, calm, cheery comics, and they can't handle hecklers, and they just oh. go to a fucking like. Remember Frank Santarelli? Oh yeah, great comic. One of the most underrated comics. Talk about guys that didn't leave Boston that were phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, the timing on that guy and his writing and everything. But he did but leave for a while, didn't he? Didn't he? He was on he? Sopranos. Sopranos, yeah. He was the bartender. That's right. Where but he didn't Tony leave. Tony beat him up, remember? Yeah, I beat the shit out of him. But he would snap, man. When he got heckled, that dude got dark. And he couldn't get back into his act because Ooh. when you show the crowd that side of you, you can't suddenly start talking. And you ever notice pigeons or, nah, you just fucking almost killed somebody, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, there were some dudes that just didn't. Not only could they not handle it, they just their their cool would just evaporate right before your eyes. Right, you could see what's going on really in there, and then you couldn't you couldn't take their act seriously nope. anymore. No, nope, because it seemed like so that's not really you. I want to see that other guy. <laughs> that guy was compelling. Make him funny. I mean, that's why people loved Hicks and Kinnison. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. they took the two things and brought them together. Well, they figured out a way. All right. Remember the the Hicks thing where he's some woman's heckling him in Chicago and he starts call, screaming at her, calling her, "Look at me, I'm a cunt." It's, <laughs> no. it's fucking great. I have carte blanche because I've got a pussy. It's a hilarious, but screaming. Yeah. Screaming at some woman who is heckling. It's a good release, man. Anytime it happens, I just make sure I tee it up. If there's if some some bitch heckling me or some guy, I just make sure keep giving them rope, keep giving them rope, <laughs> so the crowd starts looking at you like, "Hey, you got to do it now." And yeah. then you can just take all the anger that's pent mm-hmm. up inside of you and unleash it on this motherfucker. That is the key, isn't it? You got to play the bow. You got to like pull the, the bow back all the way before you shoot the arrow. Right. If you just pull it back a little bit and shoot the arrow, like, ah, oh, what'd you do? And they're there's like, the hey, he's video. one of us. Turn this up. Is it- so, pull it out so you can hear her. Yeah, buddy. Thank you, man. Be my little echo. <laughs> you suck, she goes. Against my, my mother. And, uh, you suck. You fucking cunt. Get the fuck out of here right now. Get out. Fuck you. Fuck you, you idiot. You're everything that America should be flushed down the toilet, you fucking turd. Fuck you. Get out. Get out, you fucking drunk bitch. Take her out. Take her fucking out. Take her somewhere that's good. Go see fucking Madonna, you fucking idiot piece of shit. (laughs) You suck, buddy. You suck. I can yell at the comedian because I'm a drunk cunt. Well, that's some real anger, man. Oh, did you see him run across the stage? Yeah. That was beautiful. That's some real anger. That was ahead of its time. Yeah. Nobody did that back Nobody then. Did Nobody did that. that back then. But people started doing that after that. I started doing that. Yeah. I started going after uh, after hecklers in the audience in, right. in, a, in a better way right. after I saw things like that. You realize that you, you can, it doesn't have to be nice. Like, you can get away with some shit. Right. You know, as long as it's got enough of a buildup, as long as the audience is on your side. Yeah, give it context. Put a black hat on that motherfucker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then pull out your revolver and just start shooting. And the thing is, is like, you... You have to gauge at any any given interaction of the audience. You gauge who that you got to fucking figure it out fast. Mm. Are they gonna Are they gonna charge the stage? Are they gonna keep heckling? <laughs> are they gonna tact. leave? You got to. That's right. You, you got to tack at stitches yeah. at stitches in Boston. You got into like a Physically fucking attacked. You got in a wrestling match with some dude. Wrestling match? No, the guy came up. He uh, he took a swing at me. I ducked. I hit him in the head with the microphone, and then he was from the Israeli army. He was a cab driver who was there. His name was Simpka. I still remember that because I said, you know, that's the name of the village idiot in Woody Allen's movie Love and Death, right? 
And so he came up and he got me in a fucking headlock. And that dude was spinning me around the stage and knocking down tables. I couldn't get out. And the balance, you know, stitches, it's, it's the stage is surrounded by the crowd. So, of course, mm-hmm. everybody stands up because they want to see the fight. And the bouncers can't get up there. And so it just fucking went on for a while. And then finally the bouncers came up. And two of my buddies, you know, Mike Gibbons, mm-hmm. Mike, Mike, and uh, they're at the bar and they're trying to get up there. They can't get up there. And uh, they got him out. And then the owner, you remember that guy? Um, Harry. Little, little dude, Harry. Yeah. He goes. Uh, Harry and Susie. Yeah, Harry Conforti. He goes, uh, okay, yeah, okay, Fitz, you got, uh, you got 10 minutes left. And they reintroduce me. I'm like, what? I think I fucking done. So I go up and I get on stage and I get a standing ovation because they would they rather it's Boston they rather see a fight than a comedy show. <laughs> my first standing ovation in my life. And then I went to the chiropractor. And my neck was fucked. Do you remember what you said to the audience? Yeah, I walked up and uh, and they clapped. And once they calmed down, I looked around and I go, "All right, who's next?" <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I remember that. I wasn't there for it, but I remember you telling me that. And everybody else was talking about how you said that, too. And I was like, that's hilarious. Well, actually, Brian Frazier gave me the line. He was, he was in the he audience. Really? Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Brian Frazier. He was fucking funny, too. Funny shit. There, he was a guy that I had to tell to stop wearing T-shirts on stage. He was too remember, buff. Remember how big he was yeah, when he was, he was doing bodybuilding? Yeah. He was, bu- and, and he, he was... Like, ridiculously huge. I mean, just giant, giant arms. And he would go on stage, and he was wearing, like, a golf shirt on, like a collared golf shirt. Mm. I told him, I go, dude, you can't wear that. And he's, I go, it's too distracting. Right. All anybody's doing is looking at the size of your fucking arms. Right. You're, you're intimidating, and you're angry. And you're like, what is this? Yeah. You're like, that's his act. Like, he's getting all fired up, and these right. big, giant fucking arms. Right. He uh, almost attacked a club owner in Vermont with me. I took him up there to Vermont. We did a gig together, and Brian had a sore throat. And um, he was—he uh, had a really good set, but he was—he was real conscientious, you know. And so he was apologizing to the the owner that his throat was sore, you know. Like he was just, you know, just being a good guy, uh, you know, feeling bad that he didn't, you know, do the performance that he wanted because his throat was a little sore. Meanwhile, it was still great. And so the club owner was like, relax. Like, why are you, you know, what are you, uh, what are you apologizing about? Why are you complaining about it? What are you, Jewish? Because he he didn't look Jewish. Because Brian looked like he was Irish. Was he he Jewish? Yes, he was Jewish. He was a big, giant guy with blonde, curly hair. So you didn't expect him to be Jewish, Mm -hmm. but he was Jewish. And he was really sensitive to anti-semitic stuff yeah so this guy calls him you know what are you jewish and he goes i am fucking jewish and he got really angry and you know he's fucking huge he's screaming at the guy with yeah. his hoarse voice i'm a fucking jew i am a fucking jew and it's like whoa yeah i saw him snap a few times he was he was wired tight he was yeah he, he had a hair trigger but i didn't know what was going to happen because he was like leaning over this guy's desk and the guy was this, you know, fat middle-aged dude who wasn't in shape at all. And Brian was my friend. And the, I had to figure out, like, what would I do if the shit went down? Because he was way stronger than me. Frazier yeah. was, like, way bigger than me. Right. So I was like, this could get crazy. Right, you right. Know? <laughs> what the fuck am I going to do? Talk him out of it? Yeah. I'm not going to hit him. You know, he's my friend. Right. I, I hope he doesn't kill this guy. Jesus. If he does kill this guy, how, what does that make me an accomplice? Like, how's yeah, that work? I got to drive him home after that. <laughs> That, that makes me an accomplice. Taking a fugitive across state lines, <laughs> right? He didn't do anything. I mean, but right. boy, he scared the fuck out of that dude. That guy never expected him to be Jewish. Yeah. And he also never expected him to be fucking crazy either. Yeah. So when he's, you know, 
angry, not just anti, you know, not just angry about the anti-Semitism, but like violently angry. Yeah. Plus, he was he was frustrated he hadn't had a good set, so he's already pissed off. No, his set was fine. That was what the but guy he was felt saying. Bad about it. He was just being conscientious. Right, I think. Right. It wasn't a bad set at all. You know, it wasn't a set that you would ever be in. There's Brian. Holy shit. Yeah. Kid, I was so impatient, I would actually just take my slinky and throw it down the stairs. <laughs> I couldn't even wait. Get down! See, you would never imagine that guy's Jewish. That's pretty much my hobby now, bothering people. I like to go to laundromats and hide in the washing machines. Someone opens up the lid to put their clothes in, I pop out and go, I'm using this one! <laughs> <laughs> he was a funny dude. He, he was. Became a, he became a writer, I think. Yeah, he wrote on some shows. I think I wrote with him on one show, but um, never popped as a writer. I don't know why, but he's doing some other shit now. It's like, I don't know if he's doing art or uh, he got into something else as well as comedy. Yeah, he was always a dude with a lot of other interests. This guy, my next door neighbor in Venice, this guy, uh, Danny, he became he actor. One of these dudes that I'm telling you for the last 12 years, he's had development deals or oh. landed a pilot every single year. Wow. Good-looking guy, good actor, funny. Not a stand-up, but just made for sitcoms. And uh, and yet, hasn't really been in a show that's been on the air, really, at all. He was on one show that was on for like four or five episodes, and that's it in 12 years. But the check's fucking rolling in. Wow. So he got somehow involved, but he grew up in L.A., and he knows a lot of famous people. I mean, he went to school with, like, you know, Jared Leto. Leto or Leto? I'm not sure. But he that he's, guy. like, his best friend. And Anyway, so... You know that artist Banksy? Mm-hmm. He became the rep for Banksy's work in Los Angeles. So he goes off and he is selling Banksy art to, you know, he's got a couple dozen big celebrities that buy art. And, you know, the commissions on these million-dollar pieces are fucking huge. Wow. And then he started getting into other, other artists, other galleries approached him. He came over to my house last night. He's telling me all this shit. And he is moving expensive art constantly. Wow. And he's like, he just landed another pilot. He's like, yeah, I hope it goes, but doesn't mean what it used to. That's interesting. Yeah. What a weird, well, it's, it's smart to diversify, man. Hell Especially yeah. in that business. Hell yeah. The business of auditioning and trying to get someone to accept you to put you on a show. Right. Like, there's a reason why the culture of L.A. is so fucking wacky. And it's not just because actors are shallow. It's not just because the, the, the pursuit of fame is sort of a frivolous and ultimately, like, it's a pretty pretty selfish pursuit right it's not just that by nature it's promoting yourself yeah and that just encourages douchey behavior but then you factor in the fact they're always trying to get accepted Mm -hmm. so you take people who are most likely damaged which is why they want all this additional acceptance in the first place like why do they want to be considered to be exceptional or 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 why do they want to be the one person everybody looks at when they walk down the street usually it's because they weren't they didn't feel like they were worth anything when they were young, right? right? So then you take that, and then you have them auditioning for things all the time and constantly being rejected and seeing other people get things and realizing that networking is important. So you got to develop your own personality so that you, 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 you get fit into the established paradigm. Yeah, you want to be what they want. Mm-hmm. You're no longer trying to be yourself. Yeah, well, you, you have to aspire to whatever, whatever political ideals that they have, you have to adopt those. Mm-hmm. Like, how many people are these 
button-down liberals in, in Hollywood that have literally never thought about any of the issues. Right. And so you have discussions with them, whether it's a discussion about affirmative action, whether it's a discussion about global warming, whether, whatever it is, you find out how woefully uninformed they are. And how awkward it is when you hold opinions that are different than theirs. Yeah. Because it's really about let's all sit together and pile on the right side of an issue together. If you're not on that side, it gets fucking weird. Yeah, it's like that conversation we had about the owner of the Clippers. Mm -hmm. Try having that shit in the in the lobby of the Improv with a bunch of you know comics that are showcasing for something. You're right. You're right. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, you can't. You can't. They're all panicking. They're all panicking. Yeah, it really is. It's not that the people are shallow. It's bringing the shallow part out of people. And it really is. If you put yourself like you move in Colorado or you move in outside of L.A. the way you did, it's a choice to try to get your balance back and try to you know work against what you ultimately. Uh, have to feed into to some degree, but if you live in like people that live in Hollywood, I just think you don't have a fucking chance. Yeah, you're swarmed. You're you're in the cult of personality right. in the middle of the wave, just wah, trying to keep your head above water. You go to Ralph's to get groceries. You're going to bump into another actor or an agent, and you're just always thinking about what am I wearing? And yeah, fuck that. Well, they're also just not that fascinating. The no. people themselves, like. The, the pursuit of fame, the ultimate pursuit of fame, like what we were talking about, the Kim Kardashian thing is one of the best examples because it's the ultimate pursuit of fame with no context behind it. There's no, no there's substance. No, there's, there's no, no music. There's no literature. There's no, there's no art. There's right. just a person. Right. Just a person that's not exceptional getting attention. Right. And that being the ultimate in shallow pursuits. If you're surrounded by all that, it becomes a competitive thing where other people want to be a part of it. They want to do the same thing. They want to get in there, too. And if you're in that, you step into that soup, you're like, ah, there's a lot of noise. Nothing's yeah. happening here, and the noise is contagious. It's contagious. Suddenly you find your values changing because the way you get to be Kim Kardashian is you make alignments with people like Paris Hilton. I mean, that's how she got there. They were best friends, and then you start to... Um, realize as a person in Hollywood, every conversation you have, every relationship, there's a power structure and somebody's trying to get something from the other person. And you start to think that way when you're around that all the time. You can't, you can't, especially if here's what the payoff of fame is every person that's coming to you, you know that they have an agenda. Yeah. That's your life. That's a lot of people's lives. For sure, like especially if you're like say if you're an actor and you're in movies all the time. Can imagine if you were Brad Pitt and you you go and anything you're doing, you're, you're running into people in various walks of life. How many of them are bringing you scripts? How many of them have right. an idea? How many of them want you to set up a meeting for them? How mm -hmm. many of them want to know if you know you have any pull on your next film? Like getting my brother is an actor and he's really trying hard to to get his first big break. You think right. maybe you could put him in one of your movies? I mean that shit must be. If or they just want a little piece of you. They want to be able to take a picture. They want a story that they're going to tell the rest of their life about when they met Brad Pitt. It's not going to be like you meeting somebody on neutral ground and saying, "Hey, what's up? Who mm -hmm. are you?" You know, get to know each other. No, it's this is Brad Pitt. I'm going to grab a little piece of Brad Pitt that I'm going to carry with me and I'm going to share. And you want, and that's why people love to say Brad Pitt's an asshole or anyone's an asshole because that's a better story than I walked up to him on the street. He was busy. He took a second out. He had things to do. Right. And so he moved on. It's much, it's a much better story to go, you know, and he's full. This was fucking asshole. He ignored me. And, you know, so everybody's yeah. collecting those stories. 
Well, there's always weak, weak people that you're going to run into that, for whatever reason, choose to say that you're an asshole right. because of their interaction with you. Yeah. If you're a guy like a Brad Pitt and you're, you know, you have some weird magic trick where you, everywhere you go, everybody wants to pay attention to you. And as a another person who values being themselves, who thinks of themselves highly and wonders why, you know, who's fucking Brad Pitt? What's so special about him? You know, and then you meet him. You're like, hey, Brad, how you doing? He's like, hey. Like, dick. Right. Fucking dick. Thinks right. he's too good for us. Right. Fucking dick. Meanwhile, you're concentrating on him. Why are you concentrating on him? Because he's got some weird magic trick, and you you think that magic trick should be yours. Right, right. You're the one being a dick because you're walking. He's having dinner with his family, and you're walking up to his table. That's a dick move. That is a dick move. That's the one time I never take pictures with people. Yeah. I've had people do that. The come to the table to take pictures move. It's like, come yeah. on, man. Right. That is so douchey. Right. But people don't realize it. They feel like anybody they run into, if they run into someone famous, they can imagine that that person gets run into people all day long. Right. They think, hey, this is my chance. This is my to big meet moment. Kim Kardashian. Yep. OMG, Kim, you're one of my personal heroes. Right. Can I take a photo with you? And you're whoever the person model. is, you say, yeah, you're my role model. I'm a big fan. I love your shoes. You feed them whatever shit you think is going to make a connection with them. But you're, you're really good after shows at. Meeting people, you look them in the eye, you shake their hand, you take the picture, but yet you're able to fucking keep them moving. That's that's really hard because people want to latch on. Can I take a picture? Uh, give the wife the fucking camera. She doesn't know how to work it. All of a sudden, you, you I see your lines at shows. You got 50 or 100 people waiting to say hi to you, and it, it's hard to keep those people moving. Yeah, sometimes it is. The, the real problem is when people aren't even thinking about the other people behind them in right. the line. Like there's a bunch of other people waiting and they want to tell you some story. Like you can't tell me that story, man. Right, right. There's too many people. Or then some people wait to the very end. They want to be last in the line. Yeah. And then they want to tell you this long, stupid thing describing some project that I'm not going to invest right, in. Right, right. I'm like, dude, no. I'm yeah. not not interested. I'm busy. Right. Well, listen, you can make a lot of money. Stop. Stop. I'm right. not doing it. I'm not right. investing in some fucking it's not happening. So what do you do if somebody halfway through the line starts digging into a long story? Tell them there's a lot of people behind them. Right. It's, it's like, you know, you can't, you're rude. You're being rude to all right. these other pe- folks, you know. It's really rude. It's, it's not going to happen. Yeah. But it's the it's the the people that do it, the people that really want to tell you the long, dumb story, like invest in my idea, my my company, my thing. They're always, they're, they're always like sort of like so bullheaded and, and like really obsessed with getting someone else involved in whatever idea that they're pitching that they're not thinking about it they're not thinking about the other people on the line they're not thinking about you or your attention span they're thinking about their idea here's my shot let me get it out there Mm -hmm. you know i was talking the other day about this guy who uh, gave me his fucking movie script he wanted me to read his movie script and then get it to producers you know i really need a break and you got your break and i'm going look dude i'm not even in the movie business right you can't you can't just give me scripts and tell me right. to read them. I don't know you. Yeah. I don't know the script. You're asking for an hour and a half out of a person's time. Yeah. Look, bro, it's really good. It's yeah. really good. Okay, then take it to a fucking book agent. Right. I can't get in. That's easy for you to say. Right. Okay, it's easy for me, you to say, you help me. Yeah. You know? And also, I get people that send me uh, pitches for sitcoms or whatever, and I always, I don't read it. I As soon as I see that's what it is, I reply and I go, look, I'm in the Writers Guild. I am pitching my own shit. If this is... I didn't read it, but if it's similar to what I'm doing, I don't want to be in a position where then you're claiming that it was your idea. Oh, of course. So I'm very polite, but I say it's just as a rule I can't read people's pitches. Yeah. I've talked to people who say they're suing someone because they sent them something, and then this person had an idea that's similar, and they started doing it. I know they stole my idea. And like, right. oh, well, did they solicit that idea? Right. No, you just sent it to them. Like, what are you doing just sending people ideas? Right. 
Well, when you send it through the email, it's like you patent it. Like, okay, all right. That ain't the way to do it, okay? Mm-hmm. And in this weird day and age, it's, there's more distribution methods for ideas than ever before. And if you have some really cool ideas, you could put your cool ideas on a website. You know, if you want to start writing books, the best way to start writing is make a blog that people think is popular, that people like your ideas, and then, then sell a book from there. Yeah. Make something where people can share it to people for, for, with other people for free. Yeah, and it's a meritocracy. I always say this about, especially about stand-up. If you're a funny stand I don't want to hear anybody complain that they can't get a break or can't get seen. If you are working hard and you're funny, you will be found because there's money in it. There's agents and managers and producers and studios that are looking for the next fucking, you know, uh, name a star. They There's equity in that. So just focus on your fucking work. And the same thing with writing. And like you said... Put it out there. If it's good, it will be found. And stand-up is an interesting thing for women, too, because although it's harder, I think, to be a woman and to be uh, a stand-up comic, I think there's, like, more subjects that they have a hard time covering, that they have a hard time audience getting the audience to accept them talking about things, like having an opinion on politics right. or having an opinion on certain social Sports, issues that may, yeah. Be, yeah, that may be controversial, whereas a guy can maybe... A guy's, other guys will listen to a guy having opinions on those things before they listen to a woman but if the girl can be funny the the possibilities are giant like for a really funny woman like doors just open up like there's so many really funny well look at funny... it right now you look at Chelsea Handler and Whitney and um uh what's her name on Comedy Central that has that sh- Amy Schumer I mean, it is a time when the industry is looking for strong female voices, and they're getting ratings. And uh, and once you get it, you write the book, you yeah. do stand-up dates, you get the show. I mean, Whitney Fuck at one yeah. point had three fucking shows on last year. Kathy Griffin, there's, there's the ones that are really good, Sarah Silverman, the ones that are really good, they just become, you know, it's, 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 it's there's a huge market for a really funny woman. There's also, like, their comedy relates to women in a lot of ways that our comedy is just not going to. Just like music, just like writing, like anything else. Like women have, a lot of women have a very different sense of humor than men do. Well, and also they say that women are the ones that primarily decide when and if you're going to a comedy show and who you're going to go see. (laughs) Because think about it. You're sitting at home on a Friday after work and your wife goes, what do you want to do tonight? I don't know. Well, there's this. And then you you do what she says. I think maybe thirty percent of the people that come to see me are women. That's it. Yeah, maybe probably about thirty. Yeah, it's mostly dudes. Yeah, <laughs> nothing you can do about that. My Comedy Central show had one of the the highest male percentage audiences they've ever seen. Well, that's what the network like wants. Seventy five percent men. They want that. It. Yeah, you are the sought after demographic. Well. I think the women is a sought after demographic too. I mean, look at Chelsea Handler. Look at you know, like you That's said, Amy men. Schumer. That's <laughs> it is. Griffin's Chel- the gay men. No? no, they both have huge gay male populations. That's interesting. And they, and those guys is? are great because they have disposable income because mm, majority no of them don't have kids. Right, no babies, and they don't have to impress each other the same way that men have to impress women. They're both men. Right. Like, you want to fuck? No, I was going to ask you if you wanted to fuck. Let's fuck. Ah. You know, <laughs> they're both hitting on each other. They're like fucking headbutting. Right, right, right. <laughs> hey, you want to fuck? Fuck you, man. I was about to ask you. I said it first. I was thinking it. You read minds. I wonder if you get to fuck the guy if you ask first. Maybe that's ah. the race. 
That's really, really a horrible thing to say. It's not a horrible thing to say. The only idea, the only reason why it's a horrible thing to say is because really ultra sensitive progressives have made such a big deal out of gay people right. that you think it's a horrible thing to say. You no, think they it's do a rock paper scissors? That's probably what they do. <laughs> they probably arm wrestle to see who gets to suck cock first. Yeah, maybe it's like <laughs> dick condom balls. There's nothing wrong with that idea, and right. it's it's probably likely. But yeah. you know, you got to be real sensitive about even cracking a joke about gay men, lest you be considered homophobic. Yeah, it's a that's a a weird thing, man. Right. You know, just because you make fun of gay people doesn't mean you're homophobic. Gay people are men, and men are hilarious. We're hilarious in our pursuit to dump loads. Right. You know, find people to help us release loads. Yeah. Help me, please. And gay guys are just as hilarious as we are. Well, and the, the beautiful thing is, like, with women, you really got to gauge their mood, their cycle, their, you know, what, what conversations you've had lately. Don't be disrespectful. To, right. Don't treat them like meat. Men want to be treated Run, like meat. Treat them like meat. There's no yeah. emotions here. I got a, I got a sack that needs <laughs> emptying, and you're a human. Let's do it. Fuck, I wish I was gay, man. I really yeah, do. They got holes. You got options. Damn. Especially if you could date a guy who's into sports that just hangs out, and then you you just happen to dump loads in each other. I well, just... that's what Scott Kennedy used to always joke around about. Yeah. Remember Scott Kennedy? God bless him. God bless him. Rest his soul. <laughs> he used to always joke around about it because he was like a real, he was a gay guy, but he was like this real like jockish gay guy. Right. Really big, Played always wore football a football jersey. Yeah. yeah. And just gay, unabashedly gay as fuck. And he would let the audience know like quite a few minutes into his act. See if you can find any Scott Kennedy online. He would let the audience know, like, you know, he would uh, wait a while right. into his act before he ever let him know that he was gay. And you would and never, even when he would like, say it, you thought he was kidding at first. Exactly. It took a while to sink in. Yeah, I saw him in Houston. I first saw him in Houston. He was a Houston comic. Right. And uh, he was a part of that wave of really good guys that came out of the laugh stop in River Oaks. Yeah, Sean Rouse. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, John Wesling came out right, of there. Matt right. Kirsch. Yep. And then, of, there he is. Look at that. That guy's a gay guy. You know? You could be honest every day at work, be like, yeah, Snickers are three for a dollar, but your fat ass doesn't eat three. (laughs) Do I have a supervisor? Yeah, he'll be back in like an hour, so. (laughs) Tick tock, tick tock, you gotta go. Uh, I read this in the paper today. It made me feel really old. Uh, the show Cops, the TV show Cops, has now been on the air for 20 years. I know. But you know why it's been on the air for 20 years? It makes us feel better about our lives. Don't you think? Because I don't care how messed up your family is. Never quite as screwed up as the people on Cops, you know? What show is he on? It's obviously some television Craig show. Craig Ferguson. Yeah, Which, by the tell. way, he just, uh, he, he just quit. Did you hear about that? Yeah, Ferguson just retiring, quit? too. Yeah. Why? Ran out of funny. Well, there's some real estate estate out there right now. You know, there's some empty time slots. Comedy Central and, um, you know, with Letterman leaving. You think that's why you retired? To go over there? Maybe. Who knows if there's a deal in the works? I mean, they they got to replace uh, a bunch of spots now, right? Well, he does a lot of stand-up. I know that. And he probably also makes a lot of money. And probably maybe he got to a certain point in time where he doesn't, wants to kick back a little bit. I don't think he makes shit on that show either. I what? know I know that Kilborn wasn't making shit in what? that time spot. Yeah, it's a Letterman-owned uh, piece of property. It's it's Worldwide Pants. Uh, they control that hour after Letterman. It's when you say deal. he wasn't making shit, like what do you mean? I'm talking ten grand a week. What? What? Wait a Well, when the show started out, remember when Kilborn left, they had auditions. Remember they rotated people in? 
They had like five, six people coming. Jeff Ross did a week. Um, Mike Liam Black did a week. And Ferguson did a week. It was like five of them. And then they chose the host based on that. And I happened to have I would I had access to what those people were being paid for that week. And the understanding was that's what you're gonna make for the series. And the money was like ten grand a week. There had to been some sort of a renegotiation along well, the I'm way. Well, I'm sure it definitely has gone up, but when you start at that pay scale and you know, the rate I don't know what his ratings were, but um, you know, you look at uh, these uh, I mean, what was Letterman making a year? Twenty million? I don't know. I never paid attention, yeah. but I bet it was a lot more than ten grand a week. Right? Holy shit! So I think he was. Anytime a guy's touring on the weekends while he's got his own nationally syndicated nightly show, things are a little light. Wow! Doesn't he like live in New York also and like fly in right before the show every day and then fly back? Or he doesn't? What? Leave. I heard yeah. something. Why like don't he you Google flies it? In. Yeah. Just don't speculate. Yeah. Wow. And then he had some books that did extremely well. Really? Well, he's huge in uh, you know the United Kingdom. Oh, is he? Yeah. And Always then, has been. Yeah. Before? He started out. He was big over there as a comic. Yeah, it's a good comic. That's interesting, man. That's I think a, he's yeah. gotten better. I think he was. You know, a lot of these British comics have a hard time translating to American crowds. Yeah. I think he made the adjustment over the last few years. Yeah, I've I've done gigs like right after he was there. You know, like he's done like some of the same theaters that I've done, and they what say you hear? comes in, just leaves. Does his show and bolts. Right, right. That's it. He's in right before, lands, private jet, takes off afterwards. That's what I'd do. If I was where you know how much how hard it is to do a daily fucking show mm. and then on the weekend you're flying out, I'd be in and out. You got I mean, guys gotta sleep. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting because those I think those shows, those nightly talk shows, the way in the format they're currently you know, stuck in, I think that's like it's like old movies right it's like watching like a silent movie right it's like why would anybody want to come on and talk for five minutes we'll be right back and right. you put the, the band plays you out why is there a band play what the fuck is going on? what am i you're just keeping my attention it's you, just, you got band and the band and it cuts to uh tide is the best thing i've ever had at getting the shit stains out of my diaper right. look it I shit my pants. I know. I was thinking about that this morning. I was thinking about Kimmel and about he's a great fucking guy and he's a friend of mine. And I think about what he puts himself through on a weekly basis. You got to get there in the morning starting from scratch. You're going to do a show in eight hours that's going to be an hour long packed with jokes, topics, opinions, interviews, uh, taped pieces. You got to shoot during the day, approving stuff. You got network notes. You've got, I mean, it goes on and on every day, week after week. Why? What the fuck? That's crazy. I mean, it's one thing. You're doing a podcast. This is you with very little prep, with good support, and the expectation that, you know, what you're going to do is free and loose and honest. That is so formulated. It's very formulated, very time-intensive. It requires a lot of PR, a lot of people to book things and schedule things. you got to get the network behind everything. You have to have commercials. You have to have promotion. You have to have support. Who's on before you? What's your lead-in? You know, oh, well, if, if this guy does Kimmel, they won't let him do Fallon. Right, and right. you got to deal with the politics. You're doing radio interviews around the country every day to promote the show. I mean... I used to think that was the dream, that I, that was the job I wanted, but I think I'd only want it for like a year. I think that you could do it online. 
You can do almost the exact same right. thing. If you look at some of the lineups that you see, like even on Letterman, you see some of the people that are on Letterman, you're like, hmm, how's that any different than a podcast? Mm-hmm. It's really not. I mean, occasionally they they get like U2 or something like that. Right. You know, and you can't get that. I think you probably would be really hard to get U2 to play on your podcast, but it might happen. It, it might happen. happen a year from now. I mean, right. look, we have Everlast plays on the podcast. House of Pain is one of my all-time favorite rap bands. and they They're have Everlast. On? Everlast's been on a bunch of times. He, oh, play, he plays he plays acoustic songs on here all the time. Wow. So you know we've had we've had a lot of I like get Dave Navarro interesting on people. Hey, you and Dave had like a little feud. Yeah, and then you became buddies. Yeah, I was talking shit. Well, I did the porn awards. Mm-hmm. I hosted the porn awards. Uh, most it was just a dream of my mother's, and uh, <laughs> and so I went off and I was in Africa with my family. We were in South Africa on vacation for like three weeks. And they were staying another week, and I, I had to go home to go. I flew directly to Vegas. You to told the story along with the joke. Right. And the I joke said, You said to your wife. I, I said to my wife at the airport, Who's more likely to get AIDS this weekend, me or you? <laughs> and so, uh, so I go there, and I'm, I'm doing my, you know, you do like 10, 15 minutes at the beginning, and there's 5,000 coked up porn stars. And they're all, you know, they got a camera in the audience, and the chicks are showing their tits. And you know, porn stars, it's all about them. And you got to make it all about you. So it was tough. And then I got him, and I couldn't get Dave Navarro. He's sitting in the front row, and the dude is just, like, looking down. He's not making eye contact. He's got sunglasses on. And I start to feel like it's – you know how it is as a comic. You, that one person's not laughing. It bothers you. Now make it a big celebrity, and now make it – you feel like everybody's looking at him, looking at you because he's a big star, and that's affecting how they're laughing. So I go on Stern the next week, and I start talking about it. And I, I, I went too far. I called him a douche and whatever. <laughs> I, I called him the Mexican prince. And, uh, and so anyway, uh, so then he went on Stern. And, of course, Stern pulled up the clip and played it for Dave. And Dave, wow. he called me a cunt. And then it went, I was doing Corolla's podcast, and I talked shit about And it went back and forth, <laughs> mostly, mostly me. And then I was, a, I was the head writer on Dave Attell's show, The Gong Show. And they used to bring in celebrity judges. So Navarro is one of the three celebrity judges. It's, it's Triumph, the insult dog comic. And I forget the other guy, uh, Andy Dick and uh, Dave Navarro. And so before the show, one of my jobs was we had jokes prepared for each of the acts that they were going to see. And we would basically put them all up on the board and say, who wants what? And they'd read them and they'd pull the index card down like, all right, I got this one on the guy on stilts and Andy Dick's got it. So they're all picking the jokes and then Navarro's there and, and we're standing there and, and he's looking at the jokes and, and I go, if there's anything you need, he goes, oh, and I threatened to kick his ass. <laughs> on the air oh yeah and he goes so you still want to kick my ass but he said it with this little glint in his eye and we both just started laughing you oh, know that's funny we just laughed and then uh, by the end of the show he gave me his number I started texting with him he came on my uh, radio show my podcast and we and he's come back a bunch of times since great fucking guy that's hilarious did you apologize did he yeah what? I apologized oh that's so funny I said I was out of line he goes, you know, he goes, you know what the worst part is? The truth is, I thought you were fucking hilarious. I told all my friends about how funny you were. He goes, I just, he goes, I had had a gig the night before. I flew to Vegas. I did red carpet all day. And then I was so tired of that thing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I stopped doing that shit. I used to, I used to fucking call people out all the time. I, it's not worth it anymore. You're wrong most of the time. 
It's also negative. You yeah. just ignore them. It's right. be- better off ignoring. I mean, it's one thing to make fun. Like if Dave Navarro is wearing something really silly, if he does yeah. starts wearing dresses, right? You know, which he might. You know, you could start mocking him. There's nothing right. wrong with that. But to just get angry, fuck that douche, like that kind of yeah. that's encouraged in a lot of radio shows. Like that's a big thing with radio. Like these angry callouts where people yeah. just as a you know, ranting and screaming about someone who's not there and shitting all over them, unless they're really fucked up, unless there's something really wrong with them, right. or they did something really offensive, most of the time it's not worth it. Yeah. yeah. And I've done it to comics, and then you're in a green room at a fucking show, you know, like an, an L.A. <laughs> show, and you just kind of, like, I, I had an experience with a comic like that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I just, um, I apologized. <laughs> Oh, and then I shit on Carrot Top one time on Stern. You know when you were young coming, like when I first started doing Stern, I was still like that. You know, let's shit on Carrot Top. That makes me edgy. And so I'm making fun of Carrot Top. And then like uh, about a month later, I'm at the Improv and I'm waiting at the valet parking for my car. And then he walks out and he's waiting. And and I I look at him and he looks at me. And then I go, uh, go, hey, man, I'm sorry about what I said on Stern. He goes, and he goes, uh, hey. Don't worry about it, man. We're comics. We just fuck around. It's just jokes. Totally let me off the hook. Was so cool that it made me feel even worse. Wow. Apparently, his name's Scott something, and he's just apparently he's just the nicest guy in the world. That's fine. And you get older, and you realize who the fuck am I? Carrot Top is really, really good at what he does. Like no one's doing prop shit anymore. And then I watch him. It's like it's clever. His audience loves it. He ain't taking asses out of my seats. My fans aren't going to see and Carrot even Top. Even if he was, who cares? Who cares? Yeah, yeah. He um, Hicks used to shit on Carrot Top. Of course, I saw Hicks do a whole bit where he started reading off of like who's going to be there at the uh, the upcoming like things on the pamphlets that they would right. leave on the desk, and he picks up. He goes, "Oh, Carrot Top." So that's for people that think Gallagher's too heady. <laughs> he goes, "I like Gallagher, but I don't understand all the references." <laughs> <laughs> Greg Fitzsimmons, you're a prince among men. It's been a fun podcast. We just did three hours. So. Is that three? Yep. Can I give you some them. dates? Fuck yeah. Are What's, you going to give you the website first? Oh, fitzdog.com. Podcast is fitzdog radio twice a week. Twitter. Uh, Twitter is at Greg Fitz Show. And um, check it out. And also, um, got some dates. Indianapolis, Morty's Comedy Joint is going to be May 8th through the 10th. I did that place. How is it? It's a good place. I've never done it. Great setup. Did you do uh, Bob and Tom when you were in town? Yes, I did. I love those guys. Nice guys. Yeah, good laughers. Uh, and then I'm going to be coming out to... Um, fuck, where am I June 5th that? and 7th, Good Nights in Raleigh, <laughs> North Carolina. June it's not Charlie Good Nights anymore. It's now it's just Good Nights. It's, it's good. It's like uh, John Cougar Mellencamp. Mm. And then I'm at Foxwoods in uh, Connecticut on June 12th. Through the 14th. Those are going to be the days that I call you up to try to give you emotional support because you're not going to want to do that gig. Right. That's a dark gig. That's Casinos a dark gig. Casinos are dark. That's the darkest of the dark ones. Yeah. That's the one you don't want to do. That's yeah. the one. Callan called me up the other day and uh, he was there and he explained to me that we'll talk to him after this show. All we'll right. talk. He's coming in next. We'll talk to him about Foxwoods. No disrespect, Foxwoods, if you're out there. I did it once. I, I've been to fights there too. I'll leave it at that. Let's you know what I'm going to love, though? It'll cheer me up is Addison, Texas, June 19th Fuck through the yeah. 21st. That's, That's a, a fucking gig. room. That's a fucking gig Hell right there. Hell yeah. The Dallas Improv. Yeah. And All then right. other dates coming up in Phoenix, Seattle. Go to the, uh, go to the website. What's the website again? There. 
FitzDog.com or GregFitzSimmons.com. And also my one-hour special, Life on Stage, is on Netflix. Big, big uh, positive reviews on that. Yeah, I loved it, man. I listened to Thanks, it in man. my car. I downloaded it off of Amazon MP3. I got it in like three minutes. I was driving. Mm-hmm. I listened to it home coming from the Irvine Improv one night. It was beautiful. great. Beautiful. Thanks, beautiful. man. Greg Fitzsimmons. Thanks to Ting for supporting our podcast. Go to rogan.ting.com and save 25 bucks off of any of their new and awesome devices. Thanks also to onnit.com. Go to O-N-N-I-T. Use the code word Rogan and save 10% off any and all supplements. We'll be back in, it is right now, we'll be back in about an hour and a half with Brian Callen and Brendan Shaw. We're going to do the UFC breakdown from uh, this uh, past weekend's fights. And, uh... This weekend, Friday night, the Libero Theater in Santa Barbara is sold out. Uh, There might be some tickets available at the door the day of if we release some of the comps. But other than that, go fuck yourselves. All right. (laughs) Uh, We love you. Big kiss and see you soon. Got it.